Welcome to the Junction City Podcast. I'm your host, John Miles. With me today in the Foley's Octagon, to my right. Angel Castillo. Colby Peterson. And Heath Sato. Welcome, everybody. We're going to be, uh, in a little bit, we're going to bring in the YCC, uh, Danette Stanger and Ian Williams, to tell us about your community connection and all the work they do down there. Uh, we'll also bring in Katie Matheson a little while, uh, a little later from Alliance for a Better Utah for our sixth recap from the legislative session. Yeah, this will be the last one, and then we got something special planned. That's right for the for the big finale to celebrate that is a successful <laughs> legislative session. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let's talk about the hap haps, Colby. Yes. John hates the half-haps. Yeah, I'm going to say it wrong. It's so That's good. That's my new way to do no, it. No, it's so good. Everybody, let's talk about the hap-haps. How is that different? Please don't do this to me. <laughs> no. What do you mean? That was fine. Right. Thank you. Thank you. My way was good. No, okay. Anybody? This is what's great about John. Yeah. Well, hosting is one of the things that's great about me. Oh, man. On a long, long laundry list. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. I'm going to start because mine's not local. I haven't been in town for like two weeks. So. Well, you've been spreading the coronavirus around, have you? I have. I went to L.A. and really felt the coronavirus fear. Oh, fun. Yeah. Do, are, are they are they like stockpiling to- toilet paper like we are? I mean, my feed is full of people with yeah. shell pictures of empty shelves. It's crazy. I asked a guy at a gas station, at a, or I mean at a Ralph's, at a grocery store, if they had hand sanitizer. Like, I just wanted a little tiny bottle. Right. He laughed in my face. <laughs> 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 I was like, all right. Well, like, so that's not happening. <laughs> grab some of those cart wipers. My Girl, I'm taking these. Yeah. Feeling like the jerk, you know? All I need is... This and this over here too. Yeah. I will say though, I did go by. I worked last night, and then afterwards, I went to Winco, and I bought toilet paper just fine. Yeah. And, you know, so it's... I found some at Home Depot, yeah, but they were tip. out of Clorox wipes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Although I think that you know, I posted a few like a week ago about how like a bidet is a superior experience. <laughs> oh yeah, because it is. <laughs> and uh, You're a I, little too enthusiastic, dude. About that. I mean, man, I'll tell you what. I got sold on bidets in the Middle East because it was like, oh, this is a great idea. These these guys are really smart. But I I noticed that like now with all of this like toilet paper thing, like people are talking about like. Oh, maybe we need a bidet, and like bidet ads are coming up on the social media. And I was like, "Oh, dude, like I'm ready for this." Like the market is responding here. Yeah, this is what and it I, takes to get my wife on board. I'm ready. She's not. She's not for the bidet. No, Time for the toilet fountain. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's such a beautiful experience. My wife thinks I'm weird for wanting stuff like that. No, Why? she's not wrong. But no, I, I disagree with you, Sheena. <laughs> well, what about you guys, you been up to anything? Angel's Angel been Heath. Well, you go causing first. Trouble. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have been causing. <laughs> Save that for last. Then. <laughs> yeah. No, talk about talk about uh, the, I, the things been, you got going with art. I've been working on. Are two, you an artist? Two projects. Yes, I do. I didn't know you were an artist. Yeah. Like what? a real artist. Why do you like, real one, yeah. Why do you think I can cut like, my hair like a... Yeah. Like international. <laughs> I thought you were youthful. <laughs> <laughs> Immature is the word oh, you're looking okay, for. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I do public art. Um, and right now I've been working on a piece that's going right next door to the governor's mansion in Salt Lake, and I'm working on a proposal for another project down Salt Lake right now. Yeah, you're shortlisted out of yeah, three. Three of us, yeah. Huh. The ninth and ninth. This is like a uh, Ritzy. No, big, no. huge, no, manly big, stainless big, steel sculpture. Well, oh. Welding, grinding. Okay. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah, you know that, uh, you know that piece that's in front of the Argo house? In front of the what? In front of the Argo House on 25th. 
Oh, big shiny sculpture. Big shiny. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's one of it's a, one of our smaller pieces that was done it's on for loan a. There. Yeah, it's on it's on long term loan, and it was for the LA Art Show, right? It was a temporary yeah, piece there, temporary. and that's so it cool. was hanging. Most out. of my stuff goes just straight out of the studio. And yeah, because you location. you can't hang on to things that are thirty feet tall. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's hard. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen like Heath. You had some stuff like in an airport. You talked about recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Was I it have, back in North Carolina? Yes. Uh, it was actually a piece that had been decommissioned from its uh, location at an airport because the building was sold or something and it's now being moved to uh, the campus of NCSU um, near the bell tower in Raleigh, North Carolina. Cool. Yeah, so so you're like climbing up ladders to weld stuff together? Y- yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Ooh, John. I'm just, Crane, just making sure cranes, I'm picturing this. Are you, are you, pic- are you picturing him in the studio like in flash dance? I'm picturing that. <laughs> yeah. Like the, yeah, dirty, the dirty white tank top with the welding mask that folds up and down. I just actually I just wear a welding mask and Daisy Dukes. <laughs> Perfect. I can't imagine I can't imagine the burn. I can't imagine anything else oh now. <laughs> You know, I did get flash burn on my eyes once when I was in high oh, school. Oh, oh, it feels like sand. Sucks. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Don't do that, folks. <laughs> where, right. where are your glasses? Well, let's hear about this trouble you've been starting, Angel. Well, <laughs> um, for those of you that know, don't know, I'm on the Planning Commission. That's right. Ogden and City. Ogden City Planning Commission. And uh, there is uh, something that comes out every year from the administration called the Capital Improvement Plan. Now, the Capital Improvement Plan, for those who don't know, is basically a list created by the administration saying, these are the things that we are going to commit to for a four-year period, as, and they are to be considered when we go into our annual budget process. Capital Improvement Plans are like the library would be a Capital Improvement Ooh, Plan, right? I love, I love libraries. I know, My right? favorite. <laughs> well, that, that, that actually kind of segues into the Marshall White Center, and, and this is where this all ties into. Oh. Um, the Planning Commission sees the copy. It's the procedure. The Planning Commission sees it first, and the and then we approve it or make a make make some recommendations, and then. Um, but generally, what happens is it comes in. Nobody shows up and says anything during public comment, and it just gets pretty much just sent up, and then City Council goes ahead and decides uh, because City Council is the final word on the capital improvement plan. They are the ones that assign a dollar amount. And the capital this year's capital improvement plan has 39 items. And when I got this as a planning commissioner, I, uh, I've been, if you follow, if, if you're that kind of nerd and you listen to the city council meetings, you'll find me speaking there on a regular basis. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> shout out to, to Garside, Brandon Garside, who, you know, created the podcast mm-hmm. for those. And, like, I've been super behind. Yeah, the podcast right. is helpful, though, But, right? yeah, like, you can listen to them yeah. times two, and you can, you know, get through them really quickly if mm-hmm. you want to. Like, it's a really accessible way yeah. to stay up to date if yeah, you can't the, make it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the city council has made these steps to be transparent and mm-hmm. to, to connect the community as much as possible. So... I get the capital improvement plan and I, I you know, and I'm always, uh, if you hear me talking at city council meetings, I'm talking about h- housing affordability. I'm talking about raising our, our uh, salary for our police officers, public safety. And then you'll hear me talking about the Marshall White Center. And the Marshall White Center is an institution that helps seniors and kids and, and there's just so much going on and it's a big part of the community. And if the pool's been inoperable for two years. Mm-hmm. 
And, and if so, you go through old standard examiner articles, you'll see every six months or so. Yeah, we're looking into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's true. We're yeah. going to look into it. Yeah, we're yeah. looking into yeah. looking into it. Yeah, and so the I, I get the I get the capital improvement plan, and then I I notice that there is a line item on there that says if you wish to add additional projects or revise rankings for consideration, and I went what? Wait a minute, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> Additional projects or revise rankings, and then it says that we can um, we can make suggested additions that would better implement the proposals to more effectively meet the adopted plans and benefit the community. And I went, okay, <laughs> all right. So here's what I'm going to do. And so I put together a, an email to the planning commissioners, and I told them that I was going to do two things. I was going to make a motion to change the priority of the Marshall White Center. And then I was going to propose that we find the $2 million to fix the pool. Now, I'm jumping up ahead of the, the reason why I lost my mind on this is that um, we've been talking about this for two years. And the actual list itself does things like prioritize and assign more money to um, other projects that I do not believe should have that kind of priority. For example... Um, you know, Ogden Avenue Plaza, $1.1 million. Here's the one that really got me. Golf Course Irrigation System Replacement, $1.450 million. Wow. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Does the Golf City own a – I mean, does does the, the Ogden city, city own – Ogden City owns two. Really? Ogden City owns two. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a big public space person. I, I believe it's important that we have all this wonderful open space. I do like and, El Monte. It's, and, and, it's a course that I enjoy playing. And, and, golf, <laughs> and golf is great. Yeah. And I don't doubt that the, every single thing that's on this list does need to be done. But the mm-hmm. point is, is that with all budgets, there are winners and losers. Right. And, and the Marshall White Center has been a loser for over, over two years. I keep hitting the, the microphone because I'm waving my hands around. You can't <laughs> see this because I do talk with my a hands. A lot of people do. Don't feel bad. And, Don't feel bad. You know, and like $390,000 for wayfinding signage. And my big whole push with this is I, I was very upset that, that we're placing Golf course irrigation over people and community, and well, did and did you the, say what they put in for Marshall White? Oh, ninety thousand dollars. That's what they pledged years. for four years. Ninety thousand dollars. Wow, mm-hmm. that's it. And so when I saw wow. that, when I saw that number, I lost my mind because I'm like, we have been talking, but and we keep telling, oh, it's coming. Oh, we're talking to the YMCA. Oh, we're working to with a consultant. Oh, it's a it's a big job. We talk about this all the we're time. We're gonna have to bond it. We're gonna have to bond. And my the my thoughts on this is. We're not going to have to bond. We have we have things that can be reprioritized, and you know Caldwell likes to say at every single opportunity, we're the number one most charitable giving city in the United States. Well, what are you doing to harness that? Right. Well, Why? I I hate those numbers because Mormon tithing artificially inflates mm-hmm. them, right. and so I don't I I, I don't re- but, wait a minute. That's included. Yeah, you yeah, bet it is. Yeah, it is. But, <laughs> but so that's where I'm like, uh, but, but, shouldn't have told but me. But still, it's like, okay. <laughs> but still, there are plenty of families that you will recognize their names in this community that have their names on a lot right. of things. Yeah, that, in, in the last interview, we talked about the 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 Harris, um, the Wattis Harris family. Like mm-hmm. they have been big supporters of Weaver State in the for past. City of the size. Yeah, I used to yeah, work with them. For, it, we have we have some anchor families in this community that would be willing to donate to help. And my my whole thought in putting this through, for one, I didn't know if it was going to pass. Right? It was it for me. It was a, it was I'm putting a flag in the ground and I'm saying do something. Yeah. And 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 miraculously. Um, 
we there were about 50 people that showed up from all of the community that gave these heartbreaking stories of, of what could have happened what did happen how the marshall white center saved them yeah. and um you know our chair teared up a bit when he was after he was thanking the people i mean these were stories that the planning commission had never heard because they didn't they don't go to city council meetings they don't mm-hmm. meet these people in 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 the community or they area. don't go to NAACP meetings like we did the last That's, time you know? that is correct so you know, so they've a lot ne- of those stories so they've never heard those stories and and you couldn't possibly hear those stories and and not know that this is a critical piece of social infrastructure for our community and um, social infrastructure if you haven't read there's a, this fantastic book that's called palaces for the people and it's written by a sociologist who is dis- who there's real data and numbers behind it about how social infrastructure drives a city's connections and its economy believe it or not and social infrastructure is the library free or low cost services everybody is welcome and yeah, cuz it creates livability right yes and that's what people want that's correct so they want to live in your place because it's nice and it's livable that is correct so so the point being is that i made this motion so that at least you know, the community would be heard. This was the first step in the process. And, you know, when the city attorney found out that I had sent this email out, he called me, he sent like, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, this says I can. And then he called me and we <laughs> talked on the phone and, and my wording was a little wrong because I'm not a lawyer. And, uh, and he's like, well, okay, you can, you can change the priority of it and you can make a recommendation to the city council. The city council can take it or not, but yeah, that's what you can do as this body. So we made it. And, um, you know, it passed six to two and it's going to and then and then the standard article happened and then Channel 2 News happened. And um, none of this is binding. It just puts pressure. Yeah, it's exactly what it does is it tells the city council that that people are watching and listening and that the the community wants a decision Mm -hmm. because they want some clarity. If you if they if if it's really true that there's going to be a bond in November guess what? That's another year without a pool. Yeah. And and if you're going to try and people say, oh, we're going to reach out to community partners like, you know, Weaver County and, you know, all sorts of different. Um, when? Yeah, when? Uh, <laughs> well, that's a great question. But that's the but the other point is, is that what makes you think that other people are going to participate in your project if you don't have any skin in the game? OK, Ogden has Fair. to put some money in to put skin in the game and say this is what's happening. And so what I proposed was is that we change the status of it and that we um, recommend that the city council create a separate project to allocate $2 million to begin pool repair and or new construction of a pool at the Marshall White Center and explore the potential for developing a new center on the footprint of the Marshall White Center in an incremental fashion with simultaneous build demolition allowing the Marshall White Center to remain open to serve the community with a usable pool during a year. And that is uh, Catholic Community Services is doing somewhat of the same model. They are staying open and they're doing a million and a half renovation and they're building and demoing at the same time. And, and I think that's the important thing is that whatever you're doing, it needs to be done there. And is it a big, huge, multi $10 million center? Okay. Or is it just an upgrade for the Marshall White Center, fix the pool, and do more small centers across Ogden? Or is it a big, huge center elsewhere or there? I mean, these are conversations that the city council has right. to have. There is no easy answer. But the, the thing that's obvious and clear to me is that you need to fix that pool. Right. Our well, city budget is double that of a lot of cities Layton, our size. Our budget, our budget is twice that and of And I Layton. just don't feel like like we, we have them. We have a big 
pile of money yeah. we're using somehow. Well, it doesn't a, seem like it's, it's an, being used efficiently. It's a matter of priorities. I mean, well, and so my my take on that whole. Um, <clears throat> So you mentioned the YMCA, and it seems mm-hmm. like what people are saying is the YMCA is going to come down and, and build this new facility at some point, and we keep talking to them about it, and it feels like people With are... no letter of intent, no signed letter of intent. Right. So if, if that's the case, it's just talk. Mm-hmm. And it Not seems anymore. like people are using that as their excuse to say, well, we mm-hmm. don't need to put this money into the, the Marshall White Center because mm-hmm. the YMCA is about to come do it for us. Mm-hmm. I won't and that's in a that totally different area of town, too. Mm-hmm. Which, which a lot of folks are upset with, right? Because, exactly. Because it's like, oh, so what? You want to build a brand new center in a part of town that what? Mm-hmm. Well, well, to be a, honest, favors white kids? Yeah, well, to it, be doesn't, honest? it doesn't make sense on, to me yeah. that if you're going to go with a big $10 million center and you're pouring all of this money into the downtown area, why wouldn't you want it to be the right area. there right. in the downtown area? Where there's when a legacy you, where there's of a, it being there. There's a legacy right. of it being there where you're bringing in, you're bringing like the new aerospace company that's coming in. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to have this world-class rec center that you can swing by before work and get some laps in or play some basketball or on your lunch hour or send your kids there after school? Then you can pick them up and then you can work out with them. I mean, that it, it, it makes sense. If we are designing this city to be walk public transportation and if we and according to Brandon Cooper we want all of that development and that density happening downtown why wouldn't you put it there it's right there right that's insane to believe that it's going to serve the same demographic of people if it's not in that neighborhood mm-hmm. and here's the other portion of it is that how not. are those if if the people that are primarily closest to the YCC right now they tend to be closer to our median income which is 43,000 or less uh-huh. And the point is, is those kids don't have vehicles. They don't have transportation right. to get up to the east bench, or they don't. Right. They can't get to the Lauren Far Pool. They can't. I mean, it but has to be. They can bike be, there. It, they can bike there. They yeah. can walk there, and that's that's important. Yeah. Huh. Where was the other center being suggested? That the YMCA. That. They they just the they just keep alluding to it. Yeah, they, they, they keep alluding to it, and you know th- this is a complex problem. I, I by in by no means am I going. I have the answer. No, no, no. no. I mean, like it, I said, it's a conversation it, that has to happen, right? It's yeah. It's that. got a lot of moving parts, but at least you have to commit. You have to commit that you're going to do something, and you have to fix that pool or create a new pool in that area and then if you want to go through that process of planning out for a year we're going to figure out is it multiple smaller centers is it a big center is it, i mean how are you going to divide that and how does that fundraising look and who are the community mm-hmm. partners and and I'm okay with that, but what I'm not okay with is the fact that we don't have a plan. Yeah. We don't have a plan. We don't have a goal and we don't have milestones. And that has been happening for two years because we don't have a goal and we don't have milestones. Wouldn't be this way if it was in a wealthier area. That's right. Right. I feel that way as well. Hmm. And and a lot of people have expressed that same concern, right? That like the reason that this isn't a priority is because a lot of folks who make decisions don't necessarily live with or connect with the community that would frequent the Marshall White Center and have frequented the Marshall White Center since its inception. Mm-hmm. And so that may be an explanation as it, to why this is. And I don't no. think it's all just like evil. It's there's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, out of right. touch. For, for, uh, yeah. <laughs> out of touch. All right. Well, yeah, that's why it's good to have you on that planning commission. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> well, for they doing were, that. <laughs> yeah. And they were, they were really upset because this is the first time it's ever been done. I think that was the surprising thing was that, uh, like you said, you went through that process, you knew the rules, 
city attorney comes back and says, well, okay, wait, I guess maybe you like, can We've just been it. putting that on but there no, forever. Yeah, but nobody. Like, no one has actually, you know. Oh, this like tool has been sitting there this whole time. Yeah, and Angel looked down and said, what's that tool do? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and so like, <laughs> let we, me pick we, it up. <laughs> we did it. And now it's like, well, this, this was in the, you know, completely within the bounds. Well, and so of nice of him to immediately, case. he's like, oh, okay. Well, just so you know, this has no teeth. But uh, yeah, I guess you can do it. Like that really feels like what that was Mark Johnson, right? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a city attorney. No, so oh, oh, one, my one, mistake. One, one, my of, the city, no, one <laughs> of the city attorneys, and, and here's the interesting thing, that um, there the planning commission doesn't have a huge amount of power, but in this one area it does, and I learned something by speaking to the attorney. The planning commission can put forth a project. Mm. And and I, right. I didn't. More teeth. It's got a little more teeth to it, and I just. But I didn't have. I she found out it about it. Far. I didn't push it because the long and the short of it, I'm not trying to usurp the city council's authority in no, any right, way, cause... shape, or form. So and and I'm like, they know about this. I just want to make sure that we have put the flag in the ground, and then we're moving to the next step. This is the process. It's a two-step process, and well, yeah. hopefully, it's going to get them in. It. They, well, they are in a position where they have to discuss it, and they have, and they know mm-hmm. how many people showed up and they've changed the agenda because they know that there were almost 50 people that spoke at yeah. the, the planning that's, commission yeah, that's, that's huge. nothing to sneeze at it yeah nobody no. comes to those things yeah. <laughs> right yeah once really... most people you've ever had there before <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's a good point there's a there's a very big distinction between usurping the will of the city mm-hmm. council and exercising the authority of the planning mm-hmm. commission so mm-hmm. yeah and 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 i'm sh- i'm hopeful that they'll make the right decision and 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 I don't and it's just the fact that the city needs a decision. The community wants a decision. The community wants a goal and a plan how to get there because otherwise it's just looming and looming. And one of the ur- sense of urgency I had about this CIP, remember, it's a four year plan that gets plugged that all the budgets are based on. It is not the budget. It just right. says, hey, we have these big expenses. So when you're putting together your annual budget, you really need to look at this and make sure that these somehow or another get into that budget. And they're, they're I didn't the big want, rocks in the jar, right? Yeah. And yeah. I didn't want, that's a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not want to get to a place where we get into budget in June and they go, well, you know, oh, we already did the CIP and, you know, <laughs> we just, mm, no. We're bound by this document yeah, we're, that we created. Golf courses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I heard when I heard what they were putting in for Marshall White versus the golf courses, I was floored. Oh yeah. And and the thing that really gets me is that well, I do not deny that I'm I feel fairly confident that the irrigation system does need to be replaced at the sure. golf course because technology, right? I'm sure it's gonna be more efficient and I'm sure it's it's old and it cracks and it needs to be repaired. But does it have to be repaired right now? No, right. it can be repaired two years from now and then you can upgrade it. But but you know, this community has been without a functioning pool and a pool is the huge part most the, the biggest driver in Marshall White Center. Well, yeah, and is there is there a two hundred thousand dollar band aid we can do for now while right. we? Yeah. Well, the pool itself is the pool trashed. itself is falling it's... apart. I don't. I don't mean for the pool. I mean we've been holding off on the pool. Let's put a band aid on the golf course, pay for the pool. Oh, yes, right, right. Yeah, do the golf yeah. course well, later. Well, that's what that exactly. I just think it's a it's a matter of priorities. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and every single one of these items that is on this document is valid. Mm. It does need, it should be done. And dirt golfing could become a thing. <laughs> yeah, my, gra- my grandparents do that down in Arizona. Yeah, they, they go out and they dirt golf and you don't want to see those clubs. Man. A lot of rocks. A lot of rocks. 
So yeah, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. And um, you know, it's it's just, and and so I had a couple there were a couple of the couple council people that were not happy with me. Is that right? Yep. Hmm. And um, and uh, I'm not going to name any names, but they, uh, you know, the whole stay in your own lane kind of thing. Wow. And, and yeah, see, I, I disagree with that, though. It's like, listen, that I'm, a, I'm an advisory culture. body yeah. to the city council. We to are advise. making it. Yeah, we are advising. <laughs> we are making a recommendation <laughs> to you well within the bounds of our right as mm-hmm. an advising body. We're not stepping on toes here. We're yeah, because they not, have all the power. Yeah, like they you can decide. Yeah, you can decide what you're going to do. We are just telling you that this is a priority to us. So make your decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Great. Let's. Uh, we'll. We'll take a break, and we'll be back in a minute. What with... didn't Colby do anything? Colby uh, never. Uh, this is my last week at Domino's Pizza. I'm excited. Oh, and nice. My wife and I are going to start. Uh, we're going to start like a, a deodorant company. What? Yeah, we're going to see how it works. I don't know. I is it all like natural organic-y stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, I want to hear so, about this. So we'll see. Uh, Sounds like the pits. Oh. oh, boy. So I just, I got a bunch of these Facebook ads, and I bought some deodorant from this company, and I've been trying to figure out a way to pay off all my student debt, and uh, you know, I almost joined the Navy to do that, and mm-hmm. I didn't do it, and so I was like, what's the next thing? It's like, well, I got two-thirds of an MBA, put it to work, mm-hmm. so I was like, well, what if we did this? It seems pretty easy. And uh, it's just a matter of, you know, whether we can get the branding right and whether we have a good product. And so nice. quitting Domino's at the end of this week. And then, I'm uh, so happy for yeah, you. And so we're going to start cooking deodorant in our, in our kitchen. like pizza. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're going to just come up with some stuff and see nice. if we can actually make money. I don't know. Oh, that's exciting. Entrepreneurship. going to make right an econ on. business. So wow. that's it. That is exciting. Shop yeah. local. Yeah. <laughs> Even for deodorant. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, wait. One more thing. You can talk about it next week. I, I'm putting it out there. We're going to the Indy Ogden Awards. Yes. Yeah, yes. Right? John okay. will be there. And, and, and Heath and I have worked long and hard, and Heath's ensemble, is. you're going to be talking about that for years. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. You got something good? Yeah. Heath, what's I'm, with that face? I'm a little yeah. terrified. I'm, I'm going to zoom in on yeah. It's going to rock. I'll rock it. It's gonna be amazing. I'm a little terrible because it's it's uh what did Dan tell us? It's like a movie theme. It's, it's Oscars. It's Oscars, Oscars theme. theme. Yeah. Hopefully there won't be a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get some good pictures. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll be back with the uh, with Danette Stanger and Ian Williams from YCC after the break. Hey, JC peeps, it's Colby, and I want to tell you about our new home, Foley's MMA. Foley's MMA offers classes in boxing, kickboxing, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu for ages 5 to adult. All experience levels are welcome. It's owned and operated by our good friends, Disco Dave and Sana Foley, at 31st and Washington Boulevard in downtown Ogden, if you know where it is. It's right next to Kiesel, uh, the Kiesel Services place. So uh, I came to Foley's MMA, uh, gosh, it's been a while ago. And uh, I really wanted to uh, help out in the community. I helped uh, Dave and Sana start a nonprofit that helps kids uh, get in here and uh, get there, get uh, learn how to box and those kinds of things. And so uh, from there, my wife started coming. She's been um, almost weekly attendant here at Foley's MMA. Uh, loves it. Always loves her gym family. And so if you want to be a part of that gym family, you should come on down too. So if you're interested or just curious, check them out at foleysmma.com or follow them on social media to learn about upcoming classes they've got a lot of them uh it's a solid gym with good folks and a great place to learn train and get in shape so oh the last most important piece officially approved by john miles so check them out 
<coughs> All right. So let's talk about the YCC. Uh, first, uh, will you just give me your names and your titles down at YCC, Ogden? You bet. I'm Danette Stanger, and I oversee the Victim Assistance Center. Okay. And I'm uh, Ian Williams. I'm uh, title-wise a housing case manager. Uh, I do all sorts of other things on top of that. So, you know, the name is okay. kind of relative. So you're really on the housing side of it all, like uh, uh, kind of the intake and the um, – not there, so much the fundraising is what I mean. No. I'm, I'm kind of on the front lines as far as, uh, uh, you know, providing case management to people who we've been able to house and uh, – hmm. Yeah, the, those kinds of things, on top of all, all sorts of other things. And I oversee the programs that together make the shelter and all of our community programs and oversee the staff that does that work. So is there housing besides that that's just right there attached to, to the YCC? Yeah. The, um, so if you, I, I'll go ahead and give you kind of a quick rundown of uh, some of the housing programs that we have. Yeah. So the the biggest program we have that gets the biggest funding and, and has the most uh, kind of applicants, the mo- uh, it's kind of the most competitive is the TANF program. So T-A-N-F, that's uh, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. We, uh, we generally have about 10 to 12 uh, families on that, on that program at any given time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... And then, uh, and the assistance is kind of everything, right? It's like housing, food, well, and clothing. Uh, you know, as far as housing, uh, housing programs, housing assistance goes, there's there's kind of several levels based on uh, barriers that that somebody might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, past history, uh, vulnerability, so on and so forth. TANF is kind of actually a lower barrier I housing see. program. So essentially, trying to help somebody get out of. Uh, a potential housing crisis that they may not have reached yet uh-huh. or helping somebody um right it's kind of that immediate of a, assistance like sure. low red tape kind exactly. of thing i think we skipped a key step for those of who are listening that might not know what ycc is oh, and yeah. what they do <laughs> great point <laughs> um well y- ycc stands for your community connection and uh they've the, the shelter focuses primarily on uh, domestic violence and sexual violence, primarily serving women. However, there are some uh, fathers that come through. And the big thing for me as a board member is it's about helping people with children because children's uh, children are a big hindrance between people being able to leave a situation of domestic violence because uh, in domestic violence, a lot of times people are kept uh, without connections. Your world gets very small. They, you have no financial independence. You don't have a way of transportation. And if you have children, you're stuck. And until someone an, or an organization like YCC comes along and says, I will help you, mm-hmm. all you have to do is call uh, the hotline number. And if you have filed a domestic violence report, or a sexual violence report, you will be taken in that 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 evening, that hour, whatever. Um, so you have a place to go. And I think one of the really important things is is that when we have clients that come in, it's not just for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. It's a very comprehensive program. Sometimes clients uh, are until they're completely independent and standing on their own two feet. It can be one year, two years, three years, the long and the short of it is we have an amazing staff that will help them do everything they need. We have a new director, uh, Margaret Rose, who was unable to be here tonight. I am a huge fan. Margaret Rose oh. is is brilliant. She uh, comes from an 
administration background. She used to be a principal, so she understands formal structure. She understands people. And um, from everything I hear, the staff just loves Margaret, right? And So um, how long has that been? <clears throat> That's, I mean, it was Julie, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Julie Smith up until... Last April. That's mm -hmm. what I thought. Yeah, she retired. Now. So almost a year. Yeah. yeah, she, she. I mean, well, Julie was an amazing woman and, and did everything for so long. Yeah. And, um, and and she stepped down. And Margaret, uh, you know, I was listening. I was becoming a board member during her process. And I was talking to other board members saying that, oh, we've interviewed her. And we love her so much. And um, the, she's, she's brought a great new fresh perspective and it's not just um that she is uh helping run those programs more efficiently what she's doing is putting together policies and procedures for the staff for example she made sure that we uh, we as a board reviewed uh what we're paying people and we had to find out what it is compar comparable to other shelters and and we want people to have a living wage she took a look at the problem of we have a high staff turnover or we used to have a high staff turnover and some of it has to do with it's a very emotionally challenging thing. I mean For it's sure. hard, right. hard I'm work. I'm sure you all can attest to oh, that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. it's gut wrenching. And but at the same token, you you need to live. And so a lot of people would come in from out of college and they'd be there for a year or two and then they have all the student loan debt and they have to move on because they need to make more money. And so she's making sure that we have a path to a livable wage, a fair wage, and um, it's just, it, it, it's a fantastic organization, and I'm so proud to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly, <laughs> everything you just said, for sure. Yeah. And I think people who have heard of it, they know about the women's shelter part of it. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of the most commonly yeah. known. But so, uh, so going back to the, the different programs, we've got the... TANF is TANF. What, I, yeah, what I had kind of started talking about. Uh, like I said, low barrier, um, I, it, you know, it says right in the name it has to be a family, so it has to be, a, you know, an adult with children. And because it's so competitive, we, you know, it's kind of our job to be able to pick the, the best candidates uh, for those programs out of the applicants that we receive. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a process, and, but, but we kind of do our best to make sure that we pick the best people that we know can kind of succeed after, the, after they've, they've used the money that, that we've kind of decided on and determined beforehand. And, um, and you know, in the hopes that, that they're completely self-sufficient by the end of it. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of TANF in a nutshell. Um, do you want me to keep, keep yeah, going yeah. down kind of the list? Yeah, yeah please. Um, the, the next biggest set of programs we have is a um, COC, which stands for Continuum of Care. And those are, those are federal funds uh, um, from housing and urban development. So, and that's broken into three different parts. So uh, one portion of that is for families, again, any, any adult with, with children. And then we're lucky to have uh, singles funding as well as part of that. Nice. And then, uh, so singles meaning anybody with, without any dependents that they're taken care of, they're in their custody. And then we also have youth families, 18 to 24 with children. Mm. So again, because they're, because they're, uh, because they're run by HUD and the, the funds are there, that's, they're, they're really strict on kind of the guidelines. Um, and we're in, with this program, we're able to kind of seek out candidates, uh, based on a, based on a priority mm -hmm. kind of scale. So, so that, that made me think of one thing and uh, maybe you can answer this. So you have the, the young family block that you mentioned i mean does it go below 18 or is 18 sort of like the beginning of when you can receive services at the ycc 
that's so as far as anybody below uh the age of 18 yeah we try you know we try to uh refer to to youth youth futures, futures. Yeah. futures. Mm-hmm. which is another just just incredible uh agency in town yeah we have them coming on in about a month oh yeah killer. Okay. Yeah, yeah so oh, be great. great well and that's i think that's what i was curious about like um the idea is that you so there's this big pool of money that is to take care of homelessness and then you are there to make sure that the right amount or a certain amount gets to the people who are homeless due to domestic violence and that kind of stuff. But it is always domestic violence related, right? Yeah. Uh, because of our, you know, proximity and attachment to the, the domestic violence shelter, which is in the agency, we, um, we're able to write our grants in a specific way that we, that we only take domestic violence victims onto our programs. Mm. Um, and so, which which makes it really nice, especially for the for the uh, you know the COC programs, that we we kind of have a, a pool of folks right there at our disposal, and we're able to coordinate with the case managers and the um, you know the shelter coordinator and the shelter manager upstairs, and um, you know again we still have to kind of go off of that that prioritization uh, list, but you know we're ne- we're never kind of short on on people to fill those spots on those programs, which is really really fantastic Uh and so then you're more focused on the the shelter itself is that right yes so Eden's done a great job telling us about the housing programs that we have there I think it's important for everyone to know that YCC Family Crisis Center is truly a community center where people can come based off of variety of needs that they might be having and find someone who really understands the barriers and the needs that they um that they're going to need support with to overcome those, you know, different problems in their life, whether that be victimization or poverty, or that they need help with education, or they need a quality daycare that they can put their little ones in. But the core um, services that I oversee is the Victim Assistance Center. And there's a lot of people in the community that think of YCC or think of um, domestic violence services, that it's a domestic violence shelter. And we definitely are that. We're a 62-bed shelter. Two floors of the YCC houses people of all gender that have experienced family or sexual violence. We see um, a variety of people that come in. We have parents with children. We have a lot of singles that come in that have experienced some sort of victimization and they're fleeing a situation that's dangerous for them and their families and they need somewhere safe and confidential to stay. And that's an important piece of this as well. All of our services at YCC are free and confidential. So if you need somewhere to stay and you're fleeing domestic violence, you can call our crisis line and talk to someone, talk to an advocate who can do a safety plan with you and help make a plan to bring you into shelter. But I think what a lot of people don't know is that all of the services that are available for someone who's actually staying in the shelter are available for people in the community, whether that's community case management, to work with one of our domestic violence advocates that can help you navigate the really complex criminal justice system, help you obtain a protective order, a a stalking injunction, a child protective order, all of those different types of um, injunctions that can help keep you safe. We also have a sexual violence program that we have been doing some rebranding with this year. So if you have experienced sexual violence, whether that was at any point in your life as a child or if it's recent, we have case managers and therapists that are going to help walk you through that and support you as you find that road to healing. Part of that sexual violence program as well, they have a hospital response team. So if you're a recent victim of sexual violence, we have advocates that respond 
365 days a year, 24 hours a day to different exam centers, primarily um, the Northern Utah Forensic Exam Center, which is housed at the health department, and sit with you through that really difficult experience of having a forensic evidence collection collection exam and advocate for you. And then we provide follow-up with our case managers, therapy, and, Mm. you know, any other type of supportive services. So where our shelter does house about 500 people a year, we have thousands of people that go through our other programs. And there are many people that are in the process of leaving a domestic violence situation, but they don't necessarily need to come into shelter. Once you come into shelter and you become homeless, it becomes very difficult to start back on your own again. So anytime that we can, we use different types of diversion techniques, whether that's financial assistance or protective orders or other ways to keep you safe in your own home, criminal justice system, working with law enforcement. So if you, we can avoid having to have you leave everything behind and come into shelter, we want to support you if that's the safe option for you. So we really try to help. We're very um, survivor driven, client focused. So we ask you what we know that survivors are the best experts on their situation. They know what they need and they know the best way to get out. They just need support in doing that. So we ask them, what do you want to do? And we give them a variety of options and resources and then support them as they make those decisions on their own. Huh. Yeah, I think the key thing is is the support is this theme. Well, you'll find if, if you were to bring somebody into the shelter and just decompress them and, and then getting them moving, when getting from you've just fl- fleed from a domestic violence situation, you're going to need housing. You're going to need help with a job. You might need some skills. You might need some resume. The long and the short of it is everybody that's that works there is there to be your support person until you decide that you don't need support anymore. Yeah. And and another really um, thing that people don't know is that you don't have to work with the criminal justice system Mm. to get help from YCC. You you could have possibly never have reported that crime to the police for a variety of reasons. We have people that um, are undocumented that need assistance, and they have very realistic reasons why they're afraid to report Mm. those crimes to the police. So we work with them, um, any type of people from different varieties of backgrounds, and really support them. We know that there's a variety of reasons that working with police can be beneficial but if someone's just not ready to do that that is okay and they can still receive all of our free confidential services Hmm. yeah so i think the most compelling thing that you just said right there was the fact that yeah you don't have necessarily have to be staying in the shelter Mm -hmm. to access the services available through Mm -hmm. you Great, well, the, great well, thing I learned tonight. Care, the child care, too. I mean, we have an amazing child care center that yeah, people yeah. in the community that have nothing to do with a domestic or a sexual violence thing, it's just they need affordable child care, and, and we can provide that. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious how that's evolved over time. Like, uh, I, I guess I'm just assuming that it sort of started as a shelter, but, like, how did you come to, to realize that you needed somebody yeah. to be out at um, – where you were talking about with the paperwork or being up at the hospital or or wherever it is you need to be to be in touch with the you know illegal immigrant community that's a really great question. So YCC has really been a pillar of the community. We, in fact, we are celebrating our 75th anniversary this year, and we're actually having an open house on March 26th. So okay, if cool. this sounds interesting to you and you would like to come in and see what the shelter looks like, walk through and learn about all of our programs, we are having an open house from 11 to 2. And we have food and different types. We'll have, be having tours and people talking about different things. So, so that's unless you've stayed in the Thursday, shelter. Right? Yes, yes. Okay. And unless you've stayed in the shelter, most people never get to see 
see what one looks like. So it's a really good opportunity mm-hmm. to do yeah. that. But we started out as many of these um, organizations do as a grassroots effort where a group of women got together and they saw a need in this community and got together and started fundraising and doing the important first steps to lay the groundwork to where YCC Family Crisis Center is today. So we started out with uh, Maddie Wattis Harris was our founding mother of um, where we are now. I know this name. Yes. And then we were originally a YWCA of Northern, of Ogden. And... um, through, for a different a variety of reasons, with um, they disaffiliated from the YWCA and became your community connection. And then um, about 10 years ago, we became YCC Family Crisis Center. So through the progression of those 75 years, it really has been a matter of people that work there and people from board members and volunteers seeing that there's a need. And then we're always seeking ways to fill those needs. So things have grown. The housing program is something that's it's you know, in, in the broad scheme of things, it's relatively new mm-hmm. to, um, it hasn't been there for the whole 75 years, mm-hmm. but we've added on programs when the court system stopped ha- um, housing the protective order program there, YCC picked it up and started housing it at our facility. So we've really just grown and adapted to the needs of our community over the years. And we are actively seeking out different people to get involved, whether you want to be involved as a volunteer, a board member. Um, we have a variety of volunteer opportunities from working in the shelter with people who are experiencing domestic violence to coming and just helping with a one-time event like a fundraiser. And, you know, we listen to the feedback of our community and for people, different people that are involved from different staff. And we're seeking, um, always looking for different grant um, sources of funding, private donations to grow and develop our program so that we can help as many people as we can. <clears throat> well, that's one thing now that you mentioned, like there, there seems to be this barrier. So I tried to volunteer. We talked a little bit about it. I also have tried to donate and like, it seems like the donation, the goods you accept are sort of limited in like, you'll turn away the stuff you don't need, you know, <laughs> and, and volunteering is the same way where like, I see the shelter and it's pretty locked down. And mm-hmm. I understand that yeah. there's a lot of sensitive mm-hmm. things going on in there. And so I kind of would just stay away from that and so it's not even somewhere i thought about volunteering you know what i mean so well that's one of the things that's really progressed over i would say the last couple of years and we are launching a new website we've been doing a lot of rebranding work this last year so if you want to come in and help one time we often see groups of teens or youth come in, in coming in and they do a big cleaning project or they organize bookshelves or they come out and help in the warehouse and then we have different volunteer opportunities so if you want to be a rape crisis volunteer we're really looking for people that are willing to donate and their time for six months to a year because you're going to have to go through a 40-hour training that is required by the state uh, if you want to work in the shelter you're going to have to go through a training um, process so that you can you know have the skills that you need to help those people as well as sign confidentiality mm-hmm. agreements criminal but we, background check yes yeah. criminal yeah, background checks so there it is really a um it's a big extensive process, but it's very worthwhile. And I started out not at YCC, but at another um, center as a volunteer. And that's where I learned um, to love this work and became really passionate Mm -hmm. about helping people. But we also have people that come in for six hours, just one time, and they do some yard work or they help out. And Mm -hmm. so that's something we're, we're working on. And through our website, we'll have different, the criteria and how to get involved and who to call to do that. And when we talk about donations, 
we kind of what I like to tell people is we use everything that you use at your house, but at a lot bigger scale. Yeah. So we accept donations, but we have want to tell them a little bit about the thrift store and warehouse sure. Ian, and how they can get involved. Yeah. So fortunately, I think, um, you know, compared to a lot of other you know shelters and agencies like this. Uh, who don't who don't have a lot of space? We're fortunate to have a warehouse that's specifically for the do, the donations that come into our our uh, agency. So, which is really great to have that space. Mm-hmm. However, even the, having the warehouse, mm-hmm. it is completely packed full right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like at the risk of sounding sometimes um, you know unappreciative, that kind of thing, we unfortunately we do have to turn away things. If we just simply don't have space for it, uh-huh. you know, yeah. we've got a constant revolving door of, you know, folks coming into the shelter, or coming onto our programs, or getting help, and then moving on to their own places. Um, so luckily, we're able to utilize so much of what's brought in. But you know, sometimes there's just a, you know, some yeah, random donations. You can you can always call and sure. kind of double check if you're you're buying a new couch and you've got <laughs> yeah, a couch. Kind of you mm-hmm. can call and say, yeah. is this something that you could help with? If not, you there's a you can go to Youth Futures. You mm-hmm. can you can yeah. always Deseret Industries is always going to take things, but it's nice. Um, I like people to check with the local shelters first. Right. And um, there's also another thing that you can do um, in the door. We have we have security double doors, but there is a, a an open public door that has a section of racks on the left hand side when you walk in. If you oh. ever find yourself with extra macaroni and cheese boxes or canned <laughs> yeah. foods yeah. or you know a whole bunch of Costco cookies that you had for a shower, you can with that you can go in and you can just drop them off sure. on the on the on you the, just put them in that lobby. Just put them in yeah. the lobby on the okay. shelves, huh. and and they'll it, be gone by the end of the day. They huh. will. They will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are yeah, people. Sure. There are people that will stop through there um, to help feed their families. We sure. always the YCC also always puts things there as well dried beans and rice yep. and, and and certain things so there's always something there so if you find yourself with extra after you're cleaning your refrigerator and not your refrigerator but your your pantry out um or you're going to go to costco and you bought you want to get that macaroni and cheese but what are you going to do with 24 macaroni and cheeses you know you keep seven and then you bring the rest to us uh-huh. <laughs> and so i forgot to mention it because you're on the host side but you mm. angel you're a you're a board member yes. right Yes. And how long have you been doing that? A um, little over a year. And so, uh, like, what's what's different? Like, what do you know differently about the, the organization now being a board member versus before? I think it has to do more so with the the stories of, of the direct client stories of knowing that that this is this is what we're doing as a board member and this is why we're doing it because these are the things that were were happening and and it's every every client is is unique and the the reason I joined the board is that while I myself have never been a victim of domestic violence um, I have friends that have and and I've seen it firsthand that when you have a child and all of your independence is taken away from you, all you don't have your own bank account, you don't have cash, you don't have a car, you don't you you, you are controlled and and you are truly by the abuser. How are you going to get out? Because your first priority is to care for that child. Mm-hmm. And and kids are a big big thing with me. I mean, those kids don't deserve to be in that situation, and they're going to be scarred for life by being in this very toxic, volatile. Uh, 
situation growing up and when I found out we had uh, YCC was here and what they did I was like wow I I want to be I want to be a part of that because uh, from my personal I was raised by a single mom who worked two jobs and I understand firsthand what food scarcity is what what being highly mobile is and then having to move from place to place to place to find affordable housing and um, it, it's just such a need in the community. And when I found out that we had this brilliant organization that covers so many things, I, I wanted to make sure that I could help. Hmm. So for you, Danette and Ian, what about you, yourselves? How did you all get, I mean, Danette, you talked a little bit about being a volunteer at a shelter previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your stories? Like, how did you come to become staff at the YCC? Yeah, I'll start. Um, so for for me it went uh years and years ago and 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 without getting into too much detail i had a very close family member uh become a a victim of uh domestic violence and um kind of from from then on i decided you know what this is this is a field i want to be involved in this is this is somewhere i want to focus my time and i you know i want to i want to spend my life doing whatever i can to to make sure somebody else uh doesn't end up in a situation like that and uh so I had I grew up a couple hours south of Chicago, hence the so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, from from there I moved uh, moved out to Colorado. I've kind of lived all over the place, but eventually I met my wife who grew up in Morgan, Utah, and uh, you know she she let me know that she had gone to school at Weber State. Go Wildcats! Great, 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 <laughs> great <laughs> social work program there, and uh, we just we kind of made it work. We moved out here. I went to Weber State and the, the, the job that I got while I was going to Weber State was as an intake specialist in the shelter. Nice. And that was, uh, I think, just about six years ago, I think, getting close yeah. to that. And um, I kind of moved around as soon as, uh, as, soon as I graduated and a, and a position opened up, a full-time case management position opened up. I took that as quickly as I could. So that was uh, in the shelter as a um, <coughs> domestic violence uh, uh, case manager, and then uh, eventually I transitioned into the the housing program where I'm at now. Nice. And I just have to say something about Ian, and and I've had the pleasure of working with him for close to five years now, but. Like um, we've mentioned earlier, we take people from all different backgrounds and all different genders, but this is a lot of our clients are women and a lot of our staff are women. This is predominantly like a women's issue for many ways, but there is just something so wonderful about when we do have males in the shelter because Ian and we have a few other uh, males that are staff, they can really be a role model of what Mm -hmm. a healthy um, male looks Mm -hmm. like and what healthy relationships with the man can mm-hmm. look like mm-hmm. and so it's really nice we like to cultivate those and and Ian's are just he is a wonderful person to work with and he does a great job thank, thank so. you stamp of approval right there <laughs> yeah, there right. you go man and, and then how I got involved here um, I was just looking for a way to get involved in my community I worked at another organization and did work as a volunteer and as a, um, a sexual assault um, advocate and did a variety of things there and then when an opportunity um, a came up to come and move to the YCC I was just thrilled to do that I grew up in Ogden I love the community of Ogden and there's a different um, 
there's a different feel here and we have a different set of clients and it was just a wonderful opportunity for me and I came over and took over the domestic violence advocacy program and then about a year ago I was had an opportunity to take over the victim assistance center and I've been doing that for just over a year now and I love it the work is hard we know that burnout is really high because you're really it's this experience where you are really sharing a piece of the worst thing that's ever happened to someone yeah. when I think about the you know hundreds of women that I've sat with in the middle of the night during a rape exam and just been there with them for those three to four hours through something that was really really hard and to share that piece of their life and and to hear the stories of people coming into shelter and seeking orders of protection how what a what a gift that is for me and what an honor that is that they shared that story with me and trusted me enough that I could help guide them along that path and then is like now being in a management role how I can mentor staff so that we can support our community because leaving a domestic violence situation is not an event that's something I think is very um, incorrectly portrayed by movies it's like make a go bag put it by your front door <laughs> and what that's going to do is get you in a lot of trouble if someone yeah. finds that bag we yeah. see a lot of really bad um, representations of what leaving a domestic violence looks like it is a process it is a, it's a big event it's it starts by that very first time that you tell someone that you're experiencing violence when you talk to someone and disclose that something not healthy is happening in your relationship or in your home and someone listens to you empathetically and supports you in a non-judgmental way and tells you you deserve better than this hmm. and we really want to support safe and healthy families in Weber County and in the state of Utah and in order to do that we have to help people leave dangerous and abusive ones and so we do that in a very non-judgmental way you get to decide what it looks like for you whether you leave in the middle of the night with nothing on your back or you make a really long thoughtful plan a safety plan with um, your community case manager that's like helping you prepare and plan and there we have people that leave straight into housing or straight into another um, safer place to live and don't have to leave shelter but we definitely have people that the police call and we go out to their home or one of our domestic violence advocates and or we meet them at the hospital and we bring them into shelter with nothing and because of the generous support of our community and donors we can bring them in and we have a whole basement which Ian is a, a really important part of keeping organized and give them clothes and shoes and and blankets and pillows and bring them in and support them as they you know without any notice were forced to leave their home so it looks Amazing. it looks very different for everyone mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it's the same because um so we had a friend recently who was thinking about getting out of a situation and uh, you know in talking to that friend it became clear that like you said it's not just like this one-time event like there is a whole process and journey that begins with that decision yeah. you know because this person was in a situation where uh they they didn't have any sort of uh, skills or a degree or anything that they could just go and, you know, start making a livable wage. And so, you know, it was a, it was a barrier to them to yeah. consider leaving or, uh, you know, they were like, well, what does it look like to, to, you know, formally entangle, unentangle myself from the situation in terms of like divorce and the yeah. assistance, you know, with the legal system, sure. like that was another consideration. And, you know, there are, there's a lot to think about. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there, I mean, there could be a, just a complete stronghold on, you know, the, the finances as well. So yeah. like somebody like, you know, not only material stuff, but like, you know, money as well. I just have nothing. And um, well, and I imagine that's that, that's got to be what you're trying to get out there the most is somebody 
if anybody even thinks they're in a domestic violence situation, male or female, you don't have to know what you want to do next. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, if I talk to you guys, you're not going to tell me it's time to leave my husband and it's time to uproot. Like if you just need somebody to talk to about that whole situation, that's where you guys come in. Yeah. One of the most amazing things we do there is we have domestic violence educational support groups and classes and we have a wonderful case manager who teaches those and people come and they just learn and it's confidential and and it helps them decide is this something that I'm ready to leave and how would I do that what does that look like Mm -hmm. and you know I I hate that many times the expectation is on the victim that they have to leave they have to relocate because sometimes it can look like you work with someone who helps support you in making a police report and getting a protective order and getting that bad guy out of your house. Yeah. So you can stay there with your kids. You shouldn't have exactly. to uproot your life. No, that's sometimes that's not feasible, but sometimes it is. Yeah. And then you can have a case manager that supports you. Another thing we do that's wonderful because of some generous scholarships is we help people go back to school. Yeah. We um, There's a lot of resources for that. So we connect people to resources. And then we have a, a scholarship program that fills the gaps. And we have had people go back to college, go back and get their real estate license, become cosmetologists, become a photographer. It's amazing. We support people as they live their best life, as they Mm. focus on their dreams. And we never tell anyone what that looks like. We want to hear from you. What does that look like for you? And how can we help you get there? Mm -hmm. I think it's such a strength of, of, like you said, the unique situation in Ogden where it's like, there are so many avenues available to you. You know, if you're in that situation and you need to get some skills, you can go to the Applied Technology College. Or if you choose a different path, like, you know, say you're inspired like Ian was to become an LCSW, like a licensed certified social worker, you can do that too. And there's a process for you to go to Weber State and do that, you know, and like I used to raise money for the Dream Weaver program. And like, you know, it's it's a great way to get folks in and through and get them to the point where they can have those skills. But we're in a unique situation, I think, in Ogden where you can go a lot of different ways in terms of education and getting skills if you're trying to find your way out of one of those situations. Mm -hmm. And it just starts by making that phone call, calling and talking to someone. What's the number? Oh, the, n- the numbers. I, I'm going to give that to you right now a, because I have a, it memorized. A hot <laughs> <laughs> so you could, our crisis line is 801 392 seven two seven three what was that again <laughs> it's 801 392 seven two seven three and we're launching a brand new website which is going to be yccogden.org currently it's ycchope.org mm-hmm. either of those will work they'll both redirect back but it really just starts by calling or showing up during business hours and as a walk, what we call a walk-in. Mm-hmm. And we've had stories where someone shows up as a walk-in and they just walk in the front doors. The first person that meets them is a volunteer and a caseworker comes right down and meets with them. Yeah. We had someone who came in with an injury, had had a really um, difficult experience that had just happened to them. We were able to bring them in put their little baby in the daycare, send him across the street to Midtown to get some medical treatment. They came back and went upstairs and checked right into our shelter where they were able to get some rest. And then the next morning meet with a caseworker Mm -hmm. who really supported and helped them. And they made a police report, got a protective order, and were able to go back home because the perpetrator had been removed from that situation. But stories like that happen all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's beautiful.
beautiful to see that. One of the things that people most often say when I they know what I do, and Ian probably gets this too, is like, that's got to be so sad. And that's got to be so hard. But and there are really hard days. And you see really hard things. I've seen things that sometimes I, I'll never forget in my life. But what also you see is hope. Mm-hmm. And I have the pleasure of working right there in the shelter. My office is right off of the shelter. And after just a couple of days, you see the kids feeling safe. And the people in shelter are making friends. And they're getting support. And there is this lightness that comes to people mm-hmm. when you're no longer living underneath a roof or you're afraid of your intimate partner. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes domestic violence so difficult is the trauma that you are experiencing is happening within Side the confines of an intimate partner relationship. So you're like making a birthday cake for them and then getting beat up by them. Huh. And, you know, yeah, wow. all of these different things are happening. And so it's a very complex trauma. Mm. And we understand that. We're going to help you work through that mm. and support you. Yeah. And that wow. number, um, you can call 24 hours a day. That That's number. true. And you can call anonymously. You can. Mm. So you can call and talk to someone. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to disclose your immigration status. You don't have to um, make any sort of commitments. You can just call and talk. And I also want to just mention that because our community of Ogden is so diverse and we have a high Latino population, that we maintain a Spanish-speaking caseworker in our sexual assault program, in the domestic violence community program, in the shelter, and then in the housing program, we have a Spanish-speaking staff member as well. So Hmm. we aren't just helping people that can speak English. So we have an in-house staff that can speak Spanish, but we also have a language line. So no matter whether that is American Sign Language, language or any type of a diverse language we're going to find a way to work with you to talk to you and to help you great and anybody out there who wants to volunteer for the ycc probably just best place to start is on the website yeah Yeah. get on the website we have a tab that's about to open up that's about volunteering and it will kind of explain the criteria what that looks like how to get involved and whether it's a youth group that wants to come and help or if you're really looking at becoming a permanent volunteer and getting involved we have a way to make that happen and we can't function without our community without the support from them whether that's donations or volunteer time in fact many of our grants are dependent on volunteers and mm. um, one of our biggest grants is VOCA the Victims of Crime Act and we have a 25% match to that so every dollar they give us we have to match 25% with either money or volunteer time and our favorite way to do that is with volunteer time <laughs> absolutely <laughs> interesting well great yeah. Thanks so much for coming down and telling us about the shelter and everything you guys do. Well, thank you so much. And we hope that we'll see some of your listeners at our open house. We'd love to have more people learn about the shelter. When was that again? It is on March 26th from 11 to 2. And just come by YCC. We're located at 2261 Adams Avenue. So just off of 23rd and Adams, we're we're centrally located right by the bus line so that people Mm -hmm. can reach us easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Check out our website at yccogden.org and call us at 801-392-7. 7273 if you need to talk to anyone. Yeah, I think that the spot that the I don't know how long the shelter has been in that particular location, but it's such a wise spot because like yeah. you said, you know, you're right there like this is the heart of, you know, public transportation for Weber County. You can go just about anywhere connect to the system outside of the county. Midtown is across mm-hmm. the street. The health department is right yes. there as well. Yes. You know, like everything is just right there. Like it's such a good spot. Sure. Well, we love it. And, we, you know, we're just glad to be here to help support our community. That's why we're here. And so thanks for helping us connect to more people in the Ogden area.
Yeah, yeah absolutely. And Thank you. Uh, just just sir, just one quick question, um, so that we can make sure that everybody understands everything. Do you have to live in Ogden to participate in YCC? You do not. That's right. You call us, and we actually have a lot of people that need to leave the area that they're at for their safety. So we primarily serve Weber County residents, but we even help people out of state. Sure. Anyone that needs our help, call us. We'll find a way to support you, help you, or find someone that can. Amazing. Very good. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank you guys very much for coming down. Um, so next up, we're going to be sitting down with Katie Matheson, who is the Communications Director for Alliance for a Better Utah. We're going to be talking about week six of the legislative uh, session, and uh, this will be our last one before our crossover episode with Black Site Podcast. So we're going to go to a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll chat with Katie. Ashley Wolthius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Welcome back, JC Peeps, to the Junction City podcast. We have with us for the final time this legislative session, week six, Katie Matheson, Communications Director of Alliance for a Better Utah. Hey. Thanks for coming. Like, thanks for slogging through all of this with us. Like, we genuinely appreciate you taking the time to chat with us every week. Um, we're going to note that there is going to be a wrap up of the legislative session, but we're going to be doing that in conjunction with the Black Site Podcast, where you also mm-hmm. guest star mm-hmm. weekly. Like, you, your job is busy. Like, you're yeah, but I mean, it's good because if I didn't talk with you guys about it, my husband would have to hear all of it, and he doesn't want to hear all of it. So. <laughs> Yeah, nice. so so we're going to be doing a joint episode with uh, the Black Site Podcast um, on, let's see, the week after the session ends. So it's the week St. after St. Patrick's this. Day. Yeah, we're recording on St. Patrick's Day, so that'll be quite a quite a good time. And then um, if I know the Black Site Podcast, there will be whiskey there yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then I was going to bring like some food. I was going to email Courtney and be like, "All right, like, what should we bring?" You know, oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, and one thing They're I was excited. thinking about was on their show last week, uh, they gave you wine, and I was like, they "Oh, totally did." Like we we got to up our game at the Junction <laughs> City Podcast. Like they are offering wine over there and cookies. Yeah, they had cookies. And too. like we have nothing. Like we give Katie <laughs> nothing. Like she's coming here out of the out of the goodness of her heart. So appreciate that, and uh, make sure you listen to those guys over there because they also have a lot of really good takes on state and then national politics which we don't talk about here. But let's dive into what happened this last week, uh, week six, um, up on the Hill. And I'm going to start off with, we had a slew of, well, we have had a slew of anti-choice bills come up in this session. So I was hoping that we could go one by one and just kind of talk about where each is at, because I know that you've been following it very closely. Yeah. So the first one is one that we've talked about for a while. This is SB 67, the fetal remains bill. So there were some amendments this week that changed the way that they treat a miscarriage to an abortion. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So it was on the the House floor. Um, Representative Ray Ward, who I need to bring a giant bouquet of flowers to after this thing, because he he's a Republican. He's a doctor and he is very opposed to these bills and rightly so. Um there are three doctors in the house, and two of them have um, very strongly said that they are against these bills. So let's see. So it's a Ray Ward, Suzanne Harrison. I don't know who the third one is, and but Suzanne Harrison said there are three, and I don't know who the last Craig one is. Craig Hall? I don't no? Think, I, don't, I don't know. We'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um, so, and it was kind of a blur, but basically what happened is he, there was, he wanted to add back the option to, because right now this bill would require that a woman chooses between um, burial and cremation for fetal remains from both a miscarriage 
and an abortion that happens in a hospital setting. And, um, or she can, and then, or she can decide that the, she doesn't want to decide. And then the hospital will have to either bury or cremate. So Ray Ward's, um, 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 amendment would have, um, made it so that a woman can choose to have the remains, um, disposed of in the same way that it is done now, which is, um, with other, um, bio material, um, right. Which is in done in, you know. It, it's standard practice. It's it's always you know it's 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 all incinerated and it's not just thrown away in the trash like Senator Bramble wants everyone to think that it happens. But, um, but that's not what happens. They actually they take it you know all this medical waste. It's an incinerator. It's incinerated, right? So it's it's not I guess not necessarily dissimilar from what they've been pushing, which Bramble has been pushing in this particular bill, which is cremation, cremation. or burial. Like yeah. they're adding basically a burial option, but mm-hmm. they want it to be separate. Yeah, I don't really stupid. Yeah. So, um, so he wanted to add that option back. So like, for example, if I go to a hospital and I either miscarry or have an abortion there and I decide that, um, you know, because I was six weeks along and there's basically nothing there, um, I can just have them just dispose of it with medical waste because, you know, it's more cost effective and it's, you know, not a problem for me. Um, and right. And, and there's definitely no extra cost to you. By, right. by doing it in this way, the right. existing way. Right. And um, once he made that amendment, I, I, I've said this before, but it felt like the gloves came off. And finally, we were actually having the debate that they have been dancing around the whole time, which is that this is all about punishing women who have abortion. Right. Um, and so um, th- they they fought over it. And Lesenby, you know, was like, no, but this is, a you know, we have to. This is about, you know, treating fetal remains with respect and all that kind of stuff. And then there was another amendment that was brought forward that would um, separate the issue of miscarriage and abortion. So where it ended up was that a woman who has a miscarriage in a hospital setting can choose to have the, the tissue disposed of with medical waste, but a woman who has an abortion in a hospital setting cannot choose to have the tissue disposed of like medical waste. There it is. And that's exactly, there yep. it is. It, there the, it is. It was exposed for what it was, right? So then it had to go, because there was an amendment and it had to go back to the Senate, Senator Bramble, who was the sponsor of the bill, did not like the separating of those two things. Um, my understanding, speaking with some lawyers, is that when we separate those, like when we f- treat the same fetal tissue as different depending on what happened but yeah the procedure it could become a it beca- could become a legal issue so what he did what senator bramble did was called together this conference and basically it's three senators and three reps um two dem- two republicans one democrat on each side and it's a, the people who are going to be in that room are assigned by i think the president and the speaker and they go into a room so there's these six legislators they go into a room they hash it out they vote um, obviously, the Democrats did not win that one. It was um, Representative Lou Shirtliff um, from the House side. Shout she out, was the Lou Democrat yeah. from Weber County. And Senator Remy Reby, the Democrat from the Senate side. And it was a party line vote in that small meeting. Um, and now the bill that we are left with that just passed the House last night is back to the original where both women who have miscarriage and abortion cannot choose to have their the the tissue disposed of as it is currently with um with medical waste um so women who have miscarriages are being brought back in to this so they're added collateral damage to further this extremist agenda wow so 
if if I understand that process correctly, then so Brad Wilson, the speaker, picked Lou Shirtliff as the Democrat to go into that room. Mm-hmm. The first thing that popped out to me, if that was the you know if that was correct, doesn't seem like why did he choose Lou? Probably because she's been the least involved. Okay. I mean, she like when we found out that she like her name was just announced on the floor, and when that happened, Representative Ray Ward walked very quickly over to her, opened up his laptop, and started prepping her for this meeting because she doesn't know. Like she's she's like of course she doesn't know. She's an educator. This is not an issue that she's been working very hard on. If Brad Wilson wanted to act in good faith, he could have sent someone who has been more heavily involved in this. Um, so I would say, you know, Daily, Representative Daly Provo would have been a good one. Representative Angela R- Romero, Suzanne Harrison would have been a great one. Like a doctor. Yeah, a straight a doctor. up doctor. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think those would have made more sense. But um, I think that he sent her just because she's really not been involved. So they tr- he sounds like then he tried to, I guess... He sent her and he sent Carrie Ann Lizenby. Well, Carrie Ann Lizenby is the floor sponsor, so that makes sense. But then he also sent Brady Brammer, mm. who is a staunch anti-choice advocate. Yeah, so No surprise there. Terrible. So currently this this bill sits, uh, let's see, what did I it's write? It's going to the Senate. Yeah, bill passed the House, likely for the final time Friday night, and is on to the Senate. Okay. Let's move on to HB 364. This is the ultrasound bill, and you've been sitting in committee hearings on these, right? Yeah, these uh, are rough. Yeah, these are rough. Uh, so this received some substitutes this week, and there was a question of the fiscal note attached because there was a question as to who would pay for this now potentially required ultrasound, this not needed ultrasound, because if a woman is going to go in, she's going to get an ultrasound day of a procedure that she may Right. So the question of the, uh, the the fiscal note, I think, was from a while ago. And one version of the bill, when the fiscal note came out, one version of the bill had, I think it was the department, like the state was paying for these ultrasounds and the fiscal note was too high. So then it was the, they got a new fiscal note, they adjusted the bill and they got a new fiscal note and it was much lower. And where it stands now is that the woman and or her insurance pay for it. If they cannot pay for it, then they can either go to the Department of Health, and the Department of Health will charge a, a fee for it, so mm-hmm. likely smaller than what it would be if you were just paying out of pocket. Or if she can't afford to pay anything at all, and this is the grossest part, she can go to a pregnancy crisis center, and those are anti-choice um, preg- These are the people who set up right next to Planned Parenthoods who try and funnel people into their their clinics. Um, I don't think that they have any medical staff and what it no is. No medical staff? Are you serious? I, I don't. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure they don't have medical staff. They may have people wow. now who can like read ultrasounds, but in the past they haven't. Wow. And what it is, is it's just like, uh, you know, abortion is murder and all this kind of stuff. So what, what, obviously the result of this will be that low income women who cannot even afford the fee, um, with the department of health will be funneled into these crisis pregnancy centers where they will experience more shaming and more guilt um, in order to have this unnecessary ultrasound. And this happens three days before an ultrasound. Now, it's also important to note that we now have a floor sponsor for the bill. It's Senator Bramble, who is the sponsor of SB 67, Fetal Remains. And with the new sponsor came a new sub. And in this new sub, um, they tried to address the issues that medical associations have brought up. and the medical association's involvement this whole about, time about the kind of ultrasound, right? Yeah, I mean, there apparently there's questions about like I, I don't know why they changed it. There's something that they I have no idea. They're like worried about future technology and stuff like that. So that's kind of innocuous. the The bigger issue is that with this new sub, the lawyers that I've spoken to 
say that there could, it does not explicitly stop someone from reading it as um, a transvaginal ultrasound. So we're back to this issue where there could be forced penetration mandated by the state. Yeah. And so Representative Angela Romero tried to bring that point up on the floor in the House and um, and it wasn't the point wasn't really didn't really get across because what ended up happening is Chris Jansen was like, well, you know, no, she, she said, OK, so there's nothing in here that says no transvaginal ultrasound. And prior to eight weeks, you're not really going to see anything with the transabdominal ultrasound. Right. So that yeah, means it depends on age. Right. Right. And so she said, does this mean that we are going to have people who are going to be administering transvaginal ultrasounds as a result of this bill? Depending on when they go to right. potentially seek a procedure. Right. And he said, uh, Chris Jansen said, no. You know, it, it, it's whatever is medically necessary or something like that. And like from the, from the gallery, I was like, so yes. I almost screamed like, yeah. And that's what that means is that yeah. so this yes. could be this could be. So it doesn't explicitly say that it will happen. And in many cases, it probably won't happen, but it doesn't stop it from happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, like that's if, a huge oversight. Well, and the thing that pisses me off about this is that a lot of conservatives want to complain about abortions that happen later. You know, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, no, you, you can't do this. Like, you're, you're this is you're killing a person. But I was like, OK, well, then, you know, then let's let's make it so that women can get this procedure done earlier. You know, mm-hmm. does that make you feel better? The answer is no, because on a thing like this, it's like, well, if you want to go earlier, then you've got you like you said, a state mandated transvaginal mm-hmm. abortion or, or uh, ultrasound. ultrasound. And so it's like, do, did you I mean this man has children? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. So like, did, did he not pay attention to that process? Does he does he not remember like what his wife went through in that process? Um, my completely uneducated guess is that he did not go to a lot of those appointments. Yeah. Cause it's like, no, like if you were there, like, you know, we have two children mm-hmm. and it's like, this is the process, man. Mm-hmm. And so like, like Angela Romero brought up on the floor, like, okay, this is the process. Are you saying this? Like, well, no, but yes. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying it's like, it's not, it's not prohibited in this new, which is weird because he has prohibited it in past, um, um, in past versions because people brought up the issue this very issue up to him so now it's it's unclear um what will happen with that i will say um and and i hope that when it goes to the senate senators will bring that up um i think kathleen reby will oh i totally think she will yeah um she uh we one thing that was interesting was we got less than two-thirds of a vote in the house for this bill okay which means it is not veto proof yeah and the reason why that happened was because there were some very surprising Republicans who voted against the bill in the House. I think Phil Lyman. Phil was Lyman one. Yeah. voted against it. Mark Roberts voted against it. Wow. And um, I don't remember her first name, but Perucci, the new representative oh, Candace, from Riverton, Perucci, yeah, yeah, she voted against it. And um, those were very interesting votes. Um, and it gives me some hope for what will happen on the Senate side. There's also a situation where there were some Republicans who left the room during the vote. And it was because they left the room that we now have a two-thirds, less than two-thirds. So they didn't want to vote against it, which sucks. But they didn't vote for it, and they took away, because they walked out, the math works out that we have less than two-thirds votes. But it also underscores the need to break the supermajority where it's oh, like oh yes <laughs> republicans leave the room so that you can get below two-thirds and there's a potential that the governor can veto this thing mm-hmm. 
we'll see if he will, mm-hmm. but that I at least that leaves the door reason. open. Yeah. So, so vote <laughs> representative. Yeah. So vote representative Andrew Stoddard mentioned on Twitter. So the bait was cut short on this bill and um, representative Stoddard wanted to go to bat for it, which I was really thankful for. Um, just a side note. It's always so watching this whole, um, this whole anti-choice process up close and personal and being so heavily involved in it this session has made me has given me a deep and more of a deep respect and understanding for good allyship than I've ever had in my life like ever you know like I've never you know in my activism my activism has always been centered around like accountability transparency um letting people's voices be heard but I never really had a lot of activism in my own personal life centered around um like reproductive health um and watching this happen and watching allies and watching people that this doesn't necessarily directly impact you know fight tooth and nail against it has just been really eye-opening for me um and it's made me think through how i can be a better ally as i go forward you know anyway so he said on twitter representative stoddard afterwards that there this bill has a constitutional note on it which is funny because and these representatives who are bringing forward these anti-choice bills were trying to be very clever in bringing forward bills that um, will, you know, withstand some, con- you know, some, um, muster when it comes to lawsuits. But there is a possibility that this bill could be, you know, a lawsuit could be filed over the ultrasound bill um, because it does have a split circuit. It was... Um, it was modeled after Kentucky's bill. Right, and he said that. that it was modeled mm-hmm. directly after mm-hmm. Kentucky's bill. And Kentucky's bill, um, there was a split circuit on it. So with that in mind, and with the fact that a number of Republicans clearly are not happy with it, um, I think that we have a chance at maybe getting this vetoed. I hope so. Uh, really quickly, a, a couple of other bills here. So SB 174, the basically Dan McCain's outright uh, abortion ban. Uh, it passed the Senate this week after more contentious and gross floor debate. Super gross. Uh, currently waiting the House Health and Human Services Committee for hearing, and Carrie Ann Lisenby is the sponsor, so that should tell you something about this bill. Yep. She is a zealot, so Davis Democrats vote her out. Uh, finally, there was a bill that um, you all mentioned in the daily legislative updates, which, plug for that, if you are not in the final week of the session signed up for the Alliance for Better Utah daily legislative updates, please do so. They are super helpful in understanding, and there will be a slew of bills this week mm-hmm. r- rifling through the legislature, so stay informed. Uh, this is a bill that would have made realistic exceptions for rape victims to access abortion, but it failed in the committee. Can you talk a little bit about this briefly? Yeah, so this is a good bill brought forward by Representative Daley Provo, and right now there are exceptions. So this is post-viability. Um, viability is kind of a squishy deadline because it depends on a doctor's determination of when a fetus is viable, but basically it's when a fetus can survive outside the womb, right? Okay. And so... So is this like a post-20 week thing or... Yeah, it's probably post-20 week. When I was pregnant with my kids, I was told viability was like 26 weeks, but now it's like 24 weeks. Yeah, because I mean, it's... It just depends. It's not long after 20 weeks, right? Because then you really, I mean... It starts to really take shape. Right. And it should be noted that viability is the basis for Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade talks about pre-viability. And that's what Roe v. Wade deals with. It's not 
<laughs> it's not like late term post birth abortion. That's yeah, not what that Roe is v. not Wade happening is. anywhere. That like <laughs> no, is not happening anywhere. Happen. Like I love people telling me that. Like oh what you you so what you want late term abortion? These people you know these children are being born and they're killing them. Like infanticide is not happening. Brady Brammer has brought up late term abortion twice <laughs> in yeah. these debates. It's so dumb. Anyway, so. So, so this is this is a, a kind of like a squishy deadline that has been used a lot when we talk about abortion and law. And basically what it is is that right now a woman in Utah can have an abortion post-viability if she has been, um, if she, you know, she meets certain exceptions, including rape. But she has to have reported that rape. Now, we know that 80% of rapes go unreported. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of reasons behind that um, that I'm not going to get into now. So what Representative Daily Provo's bill would do is remove the reporting requirement. So a woman does not have to go through um, the probably very difficult process of reporting her rape to um, a police department and having a report written up and all that kind of stuff in order to receive the care that she needs. I see. Um, and so less government, right? <laughs> and yet, so and yet here we are. Yeah. So that failed in committee, um, just because you know people um, live in two dimensional worlds and um, have no, you know, it's that whole. Well, she has plenty of time to report it. Blah blah blah. So, um, yeah. What if she? What if she doesn't want to? Okay, uh, let's move on from all of this anti-choice shenanigans to another super big controversy this week. Uh, this is HB 222, the Smart Start Smart Utah Breakfast Program Bill. So this is a bill that would require all schools in the state to provide breakfast. Uh, this is federally funded, from what I understand. It's for low-income kids. For low-income right. kids. And this passed the House. So this is a bill run by Representative Dan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Passed the House. Goes to a Senate committee. I can't remember which. Do you remember? I remember. Uh, but it, uh, a lot of folks have said that it is an unfavorable committee, and they voted it down. Mm-hmm. And so after that, ensuing public outrage. But I read today that Ben Winslow reported that it will be back next week. Yeah, it's going to go back. It's going back to committee on Monday, Monday at 10 a.m. Um, and this is probably a more favorable committee. Senator Ann Milner from Ogden will is on that committee. We'll see. Um, so I don't believe I don't trust her, man. I just don't. Well, no, but as a loud, proud wildcat. Mm-mm. Sorry, Senator Milner. I think that this committee is more favorable than the last one. Um, I do want to note um, and just point out the, the the depth of the hypocrisy of Senator Dan McKay, who is running this um, total abortion ban bill, voted against the breakfast bill. Yeah, I wrote in the notes that um, so there were some some folks that talked to him afterwards. And Dan McKay says that, you know, how did he describe it? That the the principals in some schools in the state did not want this because it gave them less flexibility or like they chose not to participate for one reason or another because they didn't want to deal with it, basically. And so it's interesting that, you know, the state's mandating things would provide less choice is his position. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Yeah. So, uh, from what, like you said, there was enough public outrage. It seems that in this case, it's going to come back. And I was surprised to see Lyle Hilliard was the uh, Senate sponsor on this. Oh, well, that's, because that's you know nice. he's had some uh, interesting comments about mm-hmm. you know low income folks in Utah right. in recent days. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So presumably it will be back. I'm not sure which committee it will be back in, but it's going to survive. 
It's a resurrected Bill. Yeah. It's, uh, we'll we'll do it. We should do a Dan McKay episode. I have lots of things to say. Dude, I and, and you know one thing that you you talked about. I think it was you or somebody else on social this week. So both sides of the aisle is a podcast put on by KCPW. Oh God, yes. Sponsored by Natalie or uh, hosted by Natalie Gochner, mm-hmm. who's uh, an associate dean at the Eccles School at the University of Utah, mm-hmm. Gardner Policy Institute. Um, and then the, you know, the, the aisle, the sides of the aisle are Shereen Gorbani on the left, Dan McKay on the right, even though, as we've talked about before, Natalie Gochner is on the right. She's not a centrist. Mm-hmm. But anyway, from what I understand, I haven't listened to it yet, but, uh, Gorbani goes after McKay on this bill this week. Yeah, I don't know. And they've sort of, they always sort of like cut it off before they really start to dig into things. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if like, she, I don't, I wouldn't frame it as go after um but she made him sit with the reality of what his bill does um and because you know and his response was um well you know these things can get you know sometimes they get really personal and you know it's not it's not about women it's about the children and he was trying to frame it as like this is not personal this isn't against women it's is it not it's not a you know all this kind of stuff and shireen did not let him get away with it she brought it back and she said you know like i mean what she didn't say was it's not personal to you but it's personal to everyone like to women yeah <laughs> it's very personal and um i liked that she i mean it was the most um because usually it's very um like you say they don't have a lot of time but she she really made him him sit with it and face it and i wish natalie gochner had had jumped in um it these the people who run these bills i finally found the word for it they're benevolent sexists <laughs> and what that means is that they are in, in thinking that they're um cuz a lot of their their excuses for these bills are um abortion hurts women it's you know all this kind of stuff and what they're what they're actually doing is is you know trying to pretend like they're helping women. And so in this case, Dan McKay is pretending like he's helping kids. And I think that in his mind, he does think that he's helping kids, but he doesn't. He's ignoring he's, the, he's the consequences, igno- right? He's ignoring the collateral damage, which is vast. Yeah. It's huge. And, um, I think that more of these, these representatives and senators need to sit with that. Yeah. Uh, great. So let's move on to, let's try and get through these last few really quickly. Um, we, I have a HB 377 from Mark Strong. This was a bill that would bring Title X funding back to Utah, uh, but with a few caveats. So can you, so Title X, from what I understand, is money from the federal government that helps um, low-income folks, sort of, like, um, sort of like what Derek Kitchen is trying to accomplish with his bill, where mm-hmm. it can help with family planning services. Mm-hmm. A lot of that money goes through Planned Parenthoods. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And so, so when they talk about defunding Planned Parenthood, this is the mechanism that Republicans use by cutting Title X funds. Right. And so we our local Planned Parenthood lost Title Ten funds when the Trump administration made a rule that said any any organization that either provides abortions or I think it's even refers people to abortion clinics cannot receive Title Ten funding. And so the local Planned Parenthood said, yeah, we're not going to do that. And so they had to forego keep your money title 10 funding. Right. And so that I think um, that has been a problem for them, but you know, I mean, they're making it work, but um, rep strong. Yeah. He wants to bring this back, but really what it would do is it would funnel the funding into these, again, these crisis pregnancy centers. Ah, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, and rep daily Provo on the floor asked him like, how do we know that there, these, this money is going to be going towards evidence-based services 
Um, and you know, that was a good question. It is a good question. And he, um, he, he seemed not quite prepared for, um, sponsoring this bill. He seemed a little bit uncomfortable, which good, you know, so I don't actually remember the status of where this bill is right now. Okay. Um, one of the big things with this bill was that, um, the sticking point was that it would not allow teens to get birth control without their parents' knowledge. Apparently Mm -hmm. that's a big sticking point. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're hoping for a waiver essentially. Yeah, and and um, Representative Ward had a lot to say about this bill. He he stood up on the floor, crossed his arms, and he said, "We've tried this before. We can try it again if you want." But he's just like, "Rep Ward is not having it this session." No, yeah, good. He's so tired of this because he's a doctor. He's yeah. the, he's the one once again the person that has to deal with the fallout of these poorly, you know, thought of bills. So this bill uh, passed the House on Thursday and is waiting in the Senate Health and Human Services Committee. Uh, next up, uh, we love the Constitution, but we really want to change it. So Dan McKay has all the bad bills this session, it seems. And uh, here's another one. So this is SJR 9, which lives up to the hype. The resolution would amend the Utah Constitution to allow education dollars to be used to help children and people with disabilities. Not sure what that means. Nobody's really sure what that means. Uh, but it basically is a loophole to allow the state legislature to take money out of the education budget to use it for other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Our biggest problem with this is that it's been introduced a week before the end of the session. Once again, it's not enough time. Um, we're not necessarily like, we are not necessarily opposed to opening up the income tax bucket to things other than education, but we need some kind of a guarantee that education will be funded and that we don't trust this legislature to fund that. And so, you know, we know that like the UEA, um, they're against it. They're against this because it's just too soon. They need to have more conversations. I think that eventually a compromise will happen. Um, but that compromise cannot compromise education funding so like in a in a perfect world i personally would be for a scenario where we opened up the education funding bucket and the income tax bucket and we implemented a progressive tax structure and then we had some kind of a guarantee for education funding but you can't have like this hunger game scenario where all of these education and then social services are battling it out for funding from the same bucket you know yes which is exactly what this would do and the way that they're they're sort of positioning in this because um, Senator Ann Milner from Weber County mm-hmm. is also was also like a presenter on this resolution yeah, she in, helps com- in committee present yeah the way that they're they're positioning is this is to say that they want to create sort of like a, a fund that helps steady or stabilize the amount of funding to education instead of it going up and down based on you know how much money people make every year. Mm-hmm. They're saying, like, well, we need to make this more reasonable and steady so that people know what they can account on every single year. But like you said, my pushback to that is like, well, you can you can already do that with the existing thing where it's like, hey, it's this. And then beyond that, you know, if there's extra money in the account, you can do that. Like, what if what if there's a shortfall, Colby? Like, that's what the general fund is for. You can pull money from the general fund over to fund education if needed. But you're just not willing to set those stabilization levels. I don't think that you can put money pull money from the general fund we have to double check but the thing is the 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 reality is that the legislature could be funding education at higher rates than they currently are there is nothing stopping them from do it doing that except for their own decision not to do it opening up the the education fund would not open up that would not open up education for more funding the only thing that it would do is open it up for less less exactly like 
unequivocally, it would open it up to less funding. And we've seen right now there are there's some $900 million in that account, and they don't even want to spend it all. Mm-hmm. They don't even want to use half. I think that's all they want to spend is about $450 million is the number that I've heard. Mm-hmm. They want to use half for education, and the rest of the money they want to like, – I mean, they can't do anything with it. as to just sit there. They wanted to, to give a tax cut, but they can't because of coronavirus now, so they're loath to do that. Mm-hmm. There are. It sounds like there are negotiations going on about increasing the weighted pupil unit. Um, and I think that more than 4% because that's what's yeah, been no, proposed. No, I just heard five, five, which is what I think they want, which is what education folks wanted. They wanted five. So that's not bad. I mean, that's good news. I, good th- news. I think that there, I think that there are good negotiations happening. SJR nine is premature. It's just, it's not time. And by the way, to, to get a constitutional amendment, it has to go through the legislature, but then it also has to be voted on by the people. And the people are not going to vote for something like this without a guarantee that education is funded. Yeah, I mean, this is going to, because like you said, it has to go to a ballot. It will uh, if it passes, and people are going to vote this down. We, we've seen that, that people are very, very sensitive when it comes to education funding, and, and most people feel that education is underfunded. Mm-hmm. So this bill, uh, the Senate appears to have suspended the rules to pass this resolution really quickly, one go, not second and third reading, just mm-hmm. third reading right out, and it's gone. Uh, so it's waiting in the House Revenue and Taxation Committee. Uh, this is, bill will also be sponsored by Weber County's own Mike Schultz. Uh, so we know it sucks. <laughs> so who sponsors the bill? Is all it always makes you like, you know, question or like support something, which is not great. We should always read through every single bill, but sometimes I I admit I see a bill that looks good, and then I see who's sponsoring it, and I'm like, all right, we need to read through this with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, not not trustworthy mm-hmm. because, like I said, I've never seen a good bill from Mike Schultz, to be completely honest, and uh, he's getting way too comfortable in that seat. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, this will be the last one we talk about, and then we'll just give some quick updates. This is HB 132, um, controversial bill, higher education student speech rights. This is coming from Kim Coleman, who, once again, looking at the sponsor of the bill, mm-hmm. this bill sucks. Mm-hmm. So this bill makes it more difficult to punish hate speech on campuses across the state. My question mm-hmm. is, like, why? To what end? So this is an ALEC bill, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council. It's a group. It's a national group of legislators and, like, Special interest groups and businesses, corporations. Coke, Coke brothers. Coke brothers, yeah. They come together every year. They, you know, throw around ideas for um, bills and then they create what's called model legislation. And it's just like, um, like, uh, it's like you go to a store, a conservative store where you can buy bills and then you can just run them in your state. Um, and so this is one of those. Um, and the idea is that, well, their argument is that. Um, conservative thought and conservative speech is being uh, censored on campuses. Not true. Now, we know that Utah um, and nationally we are seeing an increase in um, hate speech and also white supremacist uh, propaganda. White supremacist, there, there's the word, white supremacist propaganda. We saw it being, right here in Weber County in September. Yeah, being passed around um, on campus, you know, stickers being put up. Yep. Um, and so this bill, if it passed, would basically, like you say, tie a, a university's hands in, in their ability to deal with it. Now, I will say that in committee, Senator Todd Weiler Who introduced... Who is the Senate sponsor. Yeah, he introduced an amendment which takes away the private right of action, which means an individual cannot sue over this. The attorney general can still sue over it, but an individual cannot. So it makes the bill a lot less bad. We still would rather it didn't pass. Right. Um, but um, that's at least a good step. 
So yeah, so this bill has passed the House, um, um, passed the Senate committee, and it's waiting on the second reading calendar of the Senate. So just for context, Kim Coleman is the one, she's the ideologue running against Ben McAdams in the 4th yeah. District. Um, she said a lot of really interesting things on Twitter during her campaign. Um, I think her campaign, I think, it, is her campaign manager named Jared? He, there's this guy who's like a super fan of her, and he's always pushing her stuff. He hates me. He's he's just he's just a weird guy. Anyway, she um this is like this bill is like Im- the embodiment of the victim, like this co- this conservative ideal idea that conservatives are are victims and they are being persecuted and that's what this bill is. Yeah, I always push back on that kind of stuff because my my answer to that crap is always like, well, you know, conservatives are you know thought is not being treated fairly on campus. I was like, no. It is a it is an exchange of ideas, man. If your idea is better, then prove it. It's almost like the free market of ideas. The free market. Hmm. And your Who market. Likes the yeah, free market. Yeah, exactly. And your and your idea is losing in the market. Yeah. So then you want big bad government to come in and prop you up. What's that called? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So just a few updates before we wrap this up. So SB one seventy three. This is the meeting disruption bill. This is the inland port, you know, meeting bill that we talked about. Uh, Passed yeah. the Senate this week with a couple of substitutions waiting in the House Law Enforcement and Criminal Justice Committee for a hearing. This bill is sponsored in the House by uh, Lee Perry, who also represents a portion of Weber County, uh, my former rep. Uh, HB 70, this will abolish straight ticket voting. Uh, this passed the House. This is Patrice Arendt's uh, bill. Received a favorable recommendation in the Senate and is waiting for floor debate. Yay, this is a good one. Yep, it is a good one. Um SB 200, which is the redistricting amendment bill that we talked about last week, this flying through the state legislature. This is another one where they suspended the rules in the Senate and allowed it to be passed on one reading. Um, It's now waiting in the House. Um, We still hate this bill. I I hate this bill. Do you hate this bill? I am not a fan of this bill. I don't love this bill. Uh, It takes away all accountability for the state legislature when drawing the new maps for uh, House districts, uh, congressional districts, Senate districts. And it's not good for the public. Like, the mm-hmm. public should have recourse to the things that they do. And they could say, well, then you need to vote them out. Like, well, it's very difficult to vote them out when you've made it when mathematically, you've the game. Yeah, mathematically difficult to vote people out. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Finally, HB 207, this is the insulin price cap bill. This passed Senate Health and Human Services Committee this week and is waiting for floor debate on the second calendar. Uh, Katie, uh, a couple of things coming up for you all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a, I'm not going to call it, uh, the end party. Apparently that's not a thing we're doing. <laughs> I don't know who sent that. E- well, I know who sent the email, but I don't know where that subject line came from because yeah, it wasn't there when I saw yeah, it. Yeah, you all talked about that on Black Sight <laughs> Podcast about how somebody sent this out. Like, no, this is a celebration like, of the end. Celebrate of the, celebrate uh, the end with us. Uh, that was the name yeah, of the email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're just getting together. So maybe talk about the event, what, what you all are doing. Uh, we plugged it last week, but yeah, so reminder is good. March 23rd, which is a Monday, um, the staff of Better Utah and um, our friends are just going to hang out at Gracie's uh, in Salt Lake. Uh, unfortunately, it's 21 and older. Um, but we're going to, you know, this year we decided that we want our post-legislative event to not be a panel, but instead to just be a celebration of, you know, the wins, which there have been wins they and, have, you have. know, and commiserating over the losses. And I think that, you know, just coming together as folks who are exhausted from this really important work is a great way to end the session. So um, March 23rd, I think it starts at 630. Um, we have a Facebook event online, so you can cool. um, RSVP there. All right. We will share that uh, Facebook event. We'll add it to our uh, Facebook page because that's something I like to do is when I find an event and I add it to I add it to our own events sure. um, on the page. But uh, we'll also share it in the Junction City Forum, which is our Facebook group. Uh, any other things going on with uh, Alliance for a Better Utah that we should know about? Still looking for a development director? 
No, we're not looking for a development director. We've put that on pause. I think we're going to be switching some stuff around. And I'm not quite sure what the deal is. We haven't really talked about it because we've been on the hill and Chase is the one making those decisions. But, yeah, very difficult. Um, you know, we're just going to get through the session. Um, and then once the session is over, we're just going to be looking. F- we're just going to be working hard until November. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, what else can we talk about? Um, follow you all on social media. Yeah, please. So follow Alliance for Better Utah. So at Better Utah mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, you can follow you all on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Do you all have a Facebook group at all that you cultivate? Yeah, Better Utah Insiders. Um, it's a very small group. Um, it's mostly for people who. Well, I mean, I guess if you're listening to this, then you're gonna like the group because it's it's fairly wonky conversations. But um, I like it. I'll, I'll get in there. It's a tiny. It's a tiny little group. There's only like. 80 people in it so it's nice and tight knit i'm very careful about who we <laughs> let in the group so okay sounds like the jefferson city forum right now we got like yeah. 110 <laughs> people in there yeah just a small close-knit family yeah 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 that's you the jc peeps okay and then uh finally like we've said before sign up for daily legislative updates or for the newsletter um news uh list in general mm-hmm. at betterutah.org mm-hmm. So that once the session is over, you can stay in the loop on things that Alliance for a Better Utah is doing because there will be many. The session is not the end for them. No, Lots of work to be done. The session is the beginning. Um, and we also have, when you sign up for our emails, we have like uh, issue preferences. So um, we have our main email list, but then also we want to make sure that we're tailoring content to what you like. So if your big issue is like um, environment, then we will send you emails occasionally just to our smaller list on the issue um, that pertains to environment type stuff. So... Um, you can specifically sign up for those as well. Excellent. Great. Katie, thanks so much for doing this whole series with us yeah. on Junction City Podcast. We appreciate you spending the time every week to keep the JC Peeps informed on what's been happening at the Hill because it's a lot. Yeah. And uh, keep watching this week, JC Peeps, because it is going to be crazy. This week is going to be sure nuts. Is. It's only four days, but it might as well be five because yeah. we're going to go to midnight on Thursday. Yes, yeah, and I will be crazy. Ashley Wolfius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Okay, we're back. And uh, let's go right into the pinkies up, thumbs down. Who's got one? I'd like to give a pinkies up to what we were talking about earlier about Angel bringing um, awareness using the limited amount of power she has for good. (laughs) It's got to be pretty fun, right? You kind of get to just like uh, help her out. I'm like, are we going to get a brick through our window? But (laughs) I'm like, good on her. You seem to like it too. You like to get out there in it as well. I appreciate her boldness. (laughs) Yeah. All right, good. That was a good one. All right, well, I'm going to go straight into a pinky or a thumbs down for HB 222, which was the bill that was denied at the legislature, and Ann Milner didn't even bother to show up for the vote. And that is free federal money coming to Utah to give kids breakfast. Uh, because uh, there's a bunch of data that says that if children aren't uh, fed and they're hungry, they're not going to be able to learn, and they turned it down. So, I mean... Whoa. Okay, so there was there was money that was going to come to us to give food to kids. Mm-hmm. The legislature said, no, thank you. The committee said, no, thank you. They oh, didn't so even let it get it out onto the floor. The committee said, no, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, so this bill had... Yeah, we talked so about- Ann Milner, who's one of like 10 people on the committee, 
Mm-hmm. Probably, Probably the one representative from Weber County on the committee would be my guess, right? Yeah. She doesn't even show up. She wasn't That's there. That's right. Wow. Uh, yeah, That's so cool. we, we talked a little bit about this in the segment with Katie, but yeah, so the, the deal was that the bill had passed the House, the full House, and was on to the Senate, and it was in a Senate committee that was kind of unfavorable. The, the committee was chaired by Senator Dan McKay, who I will talk about in a minute. <laughs> seven people in this committee. Yeah, seven on the committee. Uh, who else? So obviously, yeah, kitchen, kitchen, Derek, Derek kitchen, kitchen in Maine voted yay. Yep. Hinkins, McKay, Okerlund voted nay, and Milner and Stevenson were absent. Yeah, and Hinkins is the guy that brought up, you know, the beef saying. Mm. And the thing that really, I guess this is your thumbs no, down. So you no, no, go, this, go. But he, the thing that really pissed me off about this was his whole like, well. You know, my mom made me breakfast, and you know, my wife made my kids breakfast. And why, why does why does the state have to be parents? And I was like, oh, good for you that you know your family situation worked out that you could do that. Right. What about everyone else? What? And, and keep in mind that Hinkins is a wealthy business owner from Southern mm-hmm. Utah mm-hmm. who is very much disconnected from the plight of even people within his own district. So he's from San Juan County Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of low income folks in San Juan County. Most, a lot of them are natives and they are the ones that have to deal with his crappy decision. I got mine. Who are you? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I put up a social media post on this and I got some really interesting um, information and well, the big argument, which so many people are saying, well, yeah, you know, they're not. You shouldn't have kids if you can't feed your kids. And and the point of the matter is, is that children don't have a voice. Children don't have power, and you don't know what those circumstances are for their parents. Sometimes it's it's because they're working two jobs and they're paying seventy percent to to pay for wherever it is that they live, and they just don't have breakfast. And sometimes some kids go to school, and that's the only meals that they get regularly. Regardless, at why punish the kids? Exactly. No matter what the situation. Those is. those children have have no recourse, and and it wasn't gonna cost us anything. That was the thing that really really got me. It's just like to prove a point. <laughs> Yeah. What? Well, and I think the annoying thing is like, you know, we just finished talking to two folks who worked very closely Mm. with the folks in Weber County who they have families sometimes. And let's, it doesn't always work out the way that you planned. Right. Right. You get together with somebody, you have a family, that person, you know, whether they were the whole time or they, you know, their demeanor changes and maybe they become abusive. And then so you have to get out of that relationship. And now you're, you know, in uncharted territory trying to figure out your way and so you're trying to do your best and mm-hmm. make your way and you've got mm-hmm. people saying and you're you shouldn't gonna, have had kids yeah and exactly some <laughs> loser like hinkins comes out and says like oh well you should have you should have planned for this like oh yeah i should have planned for this 10 years ago right. and not knowing that you know my spouse was going to beat me like mm-hmm. yeah right. great man like exactly pass me with that so yeah. i mean we, hopefully we'll turn it into a pinky thumbs up um i got a private message from david damshin saying that um they're gonna be bringing it back and uh he was really active on that thread and um, he, the message said that you know he appreciated the discussion and that they're supposed to be voting on it on Monday. That's what so, I heard. Was the bill was coming back on Monday. So we'll, to we'll you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath, but you know, I'm hopeful there has that been we a made bit of a public outcry. Yeah, we, this, we, right? I mean, the my, on my page, I had over 40 shares of that particular right. thing. I mean, a lot of people. You're just one of many that exactly, right. and a whole bunch of people were doing it. So I think they their phone lines blew up, and and they're they we're coming into an election season. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, they're going to do the right thing. Hmm. Yeah, and and if you know. Hopefully the the committee comes to its senses and passes the bill through. And if so, make sure to call one of your senators here in Weber County, mm-hmm. whether that's Senator Buxton, that's my senator, mm-hmm. you know, Senator Milner, who is on the committee, 
mm-hmm. call Senator Milner if you're in her district or Senator Christensen if you want to waste some time. But call him anyway. <laughs> hey, I, I've emailed Senator Christensen, and that man loves to yeah. talk at you. He, he, he has not he listened to you. He doesn't listen to a single thing you he said. I've yeah, spoken no. to him several times as yeah, well. He's not listening. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been spending a lot of time listening to uh, – there's this guy who has this podcast called Daily Stoic. And he talks about I like I love the Daily Stoic. Yeah, it's great. And I love I love the philosophy of the Stoics. And one of the things that really stuck with me this weekend was so I guess Pinky's up to this is the Stoics talked about how, you know, the, they were Romans and so they believed in the pantheon of gods. And so they talk about the gods gave you two eyes and two ears. So you should listen and learn twice as much as you speak. Mm. And only one mouth, right? And so like that is not Senator Alan Christensen's <laughs> position at all. So thumbs down to that clown. But all right. he's also talking out as oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I guess you know he's talking about a couple of things, right? Uh, okay, but I, I so you know sort of in line with my pinkies up thumbs down. I have a pinky up to. Um, I've been listening to a lot of uh, progressive podcasts lately, and so whether that's uh, Swing Left has a podcast where they talk. It's called How We Win. Mm. Um, another podcast that we talked about um, that we'll be doing a crossover episode with soon. The Black Site Podcast. Uh, I've been listening to those guys, and they talk about national and uh, state politics from, you know, the position as Democrats in Utah. I really love that podcast and, you know, their smart analysis. Mm. So th- another great podcast for you to listen to. But all of these podcasts are really giving me, they're inspiring me a lot, man. Like to that sometimes, you know, the person that you want doesn't get elected or the ballot measure that you passed gets gutted, you know, mm. in, in better boundaries. And it, it reminds me of words that Mike Weinholz told me back in 2016 where he got up, I was holding a, a this this Sanders rally at McCool's in Layton, and he came and spoke. And it was a small group, but he came as a candidate running for governor. And one of the things that he talked about was that it is a long game to mm. get the change that you want, yep. and it will take consistent, concerted effort to get mm-hmm. where we want. And you you still may never get exactly where you think you want to be, but you will progress if you're without moving, a doubt. You will progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's like and, a marathon. Yeah. And that's exactly, and I, and I remember those words this week, you know, when I'm listening to these podcasts and these people are talking about getting organized and doing the work in their communities. And so pinkies up to those kinds of podcasts because they really keep me going when, man, it's, it can be, it can be tough sometimes. It feels like you're getting a lot of L's. Uh, And then thumbs down to, you know, we talked about Senator Dan McKay. (laughs) Senator Dan McKay decided to run all the bad bills in the state legislature. This, This, you know, this session, he ran the bill. Uh, that wanted to make judge par- judges partisan. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do away with the system, and basically every lawyer in the state <laughs> legislature laughed at him and was like, "Why would you do that?" What are you smoking? Yeah, it's like it's, it's a completely. <laughs> did, you get, did you get your physician's card? Yeah, terrible, <laughs> terrible bill. Uh, he, you know, McKay ran, of course, the bill that we talked about with Katie. Mm-hmm. We, we at the very beginning of that segment, we talked all through, you know, all of these anti-choice bills. He's been the sponsor of a couple of those, you know, namely basically an outright ban on abortion, save for a mm-hmm. few instances, if Roe were overturned by the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. You know, like he's just, he's out here running all of these terrible bills and there's literally no check on this clown because he doesn't live in my district and uh, and I just, I feel so powerless against a, a, a zealot who's up there on the hill passing bad legislation after bad legislation and his colleagues are going along with it. And, you know, privately on, on background, they'll say, well, you know, we really are getting tired of all of these, you know, abortion bills and all of this stuff, but they still keep voting for it, mm. you know? And so if you were really tired for of it, you would come out publicly and say it, but since it's an election year and you fear a primary, because for some reason you like being the one in the room and 
making your hundred dollars a day to be in the legislature, like you you can't go against this guy if you're tired of, you know, him imposing government on people. Yeah. What are, what are you there for if you're not going to use your voice? And that was one of the things like when when I when I looked at this whole planning commission thing, it's like, you know, like, well, just go along with it. And I'm like, no, this is part of the process. This is what we're doing. And you, you know, what am I here for? Because I knew that I was going to get a lot of blowback for this. Sure. And, and Rocking I, the boat, right? And I, and I did it anyway because uh, if anybody found out that I had a tool that I could have used and I didn't, I'm I'm just as guilty as everybody else for passing the buck. Yeah, one of one of the 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 four virtues of stoicism is mm-hmm. courage, right? <laughs> do you have the cojones to do what it takes? And then the next one of the other uh, values is, you know, ah, uh, dang it, <laughs> justice, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the right thing. This is super important to the Stoics. Do the right thing. So have the courage to do the right thing. Right. And you did it. Speaking of that. My thumbs down. It feels like a thumbs down. I think it is. Uh, good old Chris Neville getting out of the Senate 19 race. Uh, I'm sad. I'm not going to get a chance to vote for him. Honestly, it's kind of a thumbs up because I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't know who to choose between Chris and Katie. I'm glad I don't have to choose now. I think Katie's going to do great, and I'm excited to vote I for her. I think she is too. But I'm sad I'm not going to see Neville. He says I'm going to see him, but... Am I really going to see him? You got to go to Summit so. County and hang out with him, dude. He's got to come here. He's been coming here. You haven't gone down the, there to see him once. the terms of our relationship is he would come here. <laughs> Sounds abusive. <laughs> Not for me. <clears throat> All right. Oh, so that's that. Let's talk about events. Uh, Thursday, March 12th, uh, the Justice for Giovanni p- protest with Northern Utah Black Lives Matter. That's at the Weber Center. It's twenty, basically 24th in Washington at 3 p.m. Um, so I wanted to say like this all spawns because uh, so back in August, um, we've talked about this a couple of times. Police were called. Police ended up uh, shooting and killing a man, Giovanni Mercado, in his driveway. And then uh, because the police used their weapons, you know, and killed this man, they, there had to be an investigation by an outside body. And that was the Weber County Attorney's Office. So Chris Allred released his report today. Is that right? Oh, I believe that, that that's, that's the, yeah, and it basically cleared all of those men for any wrongdoing, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. people are upset about that. Uh, Friday, March thirteenth, the Untamed Women of Ogden's notorious Twenty Fifth Street is at the Eccles Community Arts Center. My dream home. 25, <laughs> 2580 Jefferson Avenue from seven to eight p.m. Because right. of the untamed women. Because <laughs> no, that's where David Eccles lived, and I admire David Eccles. So this is an exhibit about the untamed. No, it's women. a lecture. He's uh, gonna hit you. So uh, <laughs> Katie, Katie Porter, uh, Professor Katie Porter from uh, Weber State, uh, she's gonna be giving a lecture. She's also the vice president of the Weber County Heritage Foundation. Hmm. Um, and then uh, Saturday, March fourteenth. Earlier uh, in the morning, the Utah Democrats' first quarter central committee meeting. It'll be at the Davis County Admin Building, so a little closer than a lot of them usually are. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Oh, and that's at 61 South Main Street, room 1131A in Farmington. Can can I add one? Yep, that night. 
Uh, no, that oh, afternoon. No, sorry, um, well, yeah, that's the night one. But <laughs> the um, there is a an event Saturday, March fourteenth, from eleven a.m. to five a.m. It is the uh, opening of Beyond Suffrage, a century of Northern Utah women making history. It's going to be held at Union Station, and it's put together by the Stewart Library of Special Collections. And what it does is it has a whole bunch of women all the way back from when Ogden started to current that have influenced Ogden in some way and you Untamed. might yeah you might know <laughs> you might know a couple of those people yeah. <laughs> so this is the exact exhibit that we talked about last week with Sarah yeah. Yeah. yep we gave all the details but uh but it's yeah but yeah so that opens on Saturday it opens on Saturday and it's going to run for a few weeks but that is the there'll be snacks and light beverages <laughs> go down and get those cards go down and get those cards that she talked about those would be be cool Uh, and then that night Saturday Saturday night March 14th is the 8th annual Indy Ogden Awards at the Monarch I'm going to be there some of you might be there with us at the Junction City Podcast table Uh, I think Angel and Heath you guys will be there right? oh yeah yeah, I'm nominated yeah Uh, uh, if you want to join Junction City Podcast there's a, a contest going on right now on our Facebook page and on our Twitter uh, we're giving away two tickets on each of those uh, to join us so you can come and hang out with everybody. Uh, but that's going to be a great time. Uh, you can buy tickets if you don't want to win them from us. I think they're still available. Um, so, yeah, Indie Ogden Awards, Saturday night. Then uh, March 15th, the next night, we've got our monthly meetup, Drinking Liberally at Brewies. Yay. That's from 630 to 7.30. Uh, come down and hang out with us. Is John going to be times. there? I don't know if John's going to be there. It really depends on Wait, how what, much I tie day, one on. What day is that one? That's Sunday, the, the night th- after the, the Indy Ogden after Awards. Indie Ogden. Oh, I think I can make that. Okay. Yeah, I might pull it off. We'll see. <coughs> Either way, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, Colby will be there. Colby's always there. Good old Colby. Reliable Colby. <laughs> Rockstar Colby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let's roll back so, to reliable. Young and uncomfortable. <laughs> young and uncomfortable. <laughs> so, again, make sure you go to our social media pages. We're on Facebook at Junction City Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at Junction City Pod, Instagram, Junction City Podcast. We've got YouTube now. We've been putting up a lot of those. We'll put up uh, clips that didn't make it to the show, but were good videos. Uh, we're on Patreon. You can always support us and the work we're trying to do as far as keeping local coverage alive. It's patreon.com backslash Junction City Podcast. Colby put the show notes on junctioncitypodcast.com. And uh, I guess that's it. Um, I was going to say, I forgot to mention this last week. It was our 50th episode. Oh, last hey. week. snap. Yeah. So, Thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. Yeah. 50th episode. Hey, thank you guys for doing this. Good to have you here tonight. Yeah. And like we say every week, all politics is local. <laughs>